1: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, an absolutely epic jumbo size, however you want to describe it, WrestleMania recap podcast with two fabulous guests. Let's break it all down. This is not Sam Wrestling.
0: This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Sam Roberts.
1: What a weekend, guys. What a weekend. Welcome to the first post-WrestleMania 37. Not Sam Wrestling. It's going to be tough to get back to watching wrestling without fans again. Because, boy, was it fun to sit there and watch two nights of WrestleMania with a bunch of people cheering for stuff. Some of the stuff the stuff that you expected them to cheer and boo for, other things, the stuff that you didn't quite expect them to cheer and boo for. There's a lot to break down, a lot to discuss, and you know how much I love. If you've listened to this podcast before at all, if you've never listened to the podcast before, then maybe you don't know. But I love doing these uh, 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 pay-per-view recap shows, and I'm down here in the Not Sam studio immediately after these pay-per-views to get all, all, all the energy that's in my system after watching these shows out and getting it through, in through your ears, to your brain. Uh, so, what I did this weekend was, immediately after WrestleMania Night 1, I talked about WrestleMania Night 1. Immediately after WrestleMania Night 2, I talked about WrestleMania Night 2. For Night 1, I brought in Mike Mansuri, who has been on the podcast before, he is a former producer with the WWE. And I use the term producer very loosely. That wasn't his job title. He's a very high-ranking person. Uh, if you want more information on what he's done with WWE, you can go back a couple weeks uh, and, and listen to that. But he was... He was, he was I, I don't even want to give him a title. But he, was, he produced uh, most of the kickoff shows that I did until he recently left the WWE and has since launched his own podcast. We'll get into all that. Uh, and then for night two... Former member of the WWE announce team and digital team, current ESPN personality, Arda Ocal, uh, was on to help me break down everything that happened night two of WrestleMania. Now, both these videos will be up at YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling. The first place that they'll be up is Patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. I had a blast, by the way, an absolute blast, one of my favorite parts of the weekend was the zoom meeting that we have the superstar and hall of fame level shills at patreoncom slash not wrestling came in and hung out with me for about an hour and a half before WrestleMania on both Saturday and on Sunday. And just kind of talked about what we expected. Uh, one of our, one of our shills was actually in Raymond James stadium in the zoom room as he was talking to us about what was going on. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, but that's, for the shills at patreon.com slash wrestling. That's also the place that you'll get the video of these conversations first. But they all this week will end up on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel and, and go to wherever you get podcasts. And especially Apple. I think Apple's the best. Leave a review. Hit the rating button. Do that whole thing. Because we have so much to break down over the course of of two nights of WrestleMania. And these are conversations. I could have conversations about these two nights for hours and hours and hours and hours. As a matter of fact, uh, I had the conversation that I had with Mike Mansuri after the podcast, I think extended at least another hour. We were up until about three o'clock in the morning just talking about wrestling after night one of WrestleMania. However, I wanted to get all his insight, especially when it came to the rain delays and everything that happened. I wanted to get all of his insight uh, and share it with you. So that's where we'll start with Mike Mansuri on with me to break down night one of WrestleMania.
0: The Not Sam Wrestling interview.
1: Getting to night one of WrestleMania. I mean, I guess 37, Corey Graves called it WrestleMania 37 once in the set reveal. Which even when I heard him say at WrestleMania 37, I went, Like I don't know if you're supposed to, I don't know if we're supposed to mention, you know, WrestleMania has gotten to the age where a lady never tells. But (laughs) uh, WrestleMania, as it were, talking about night one, I couldn't think of anybody. I'm I'm fortunate because, like, I asked this individual to come on and talk about night one before it happened. But I think of literally every pay-per-view that's maybe ever happened, having somebody with some production expertise is probably the guy to talk to, at least for a section of tonight's pay-per-view. But Mike Mansuri is back. Of course, you know him from the best wrestling podcast period alongside Mark Madden, uh, you know, on the PMI, right? Pat PMI.
0: Yeah. The best wrestling show period under the PMI banner yes. Pat McAfee
1: Incorporated. Right, right. I know it's not the network, but. You can get, by the way, now, you know, we talked to Mike a few weeks back when the podcast was just launching. You can now, the uh, uh, Best Wrestling Podcast, period, has its own Twitter account, has its own YouTube. All the episodes go up every week in audio and video. So it's definitely one you want to check out because, you know, Mark Madden has his level of expertise. He's not only somebody who's followed and reported on the business for years, but obviously anybody that watched during the Attitude Era, commentator on Nitro and everything, so he understands the business. and. Mike Mansuri, who we've talked about, uh, a person who worked behind the scenes as a producer and, and, I mean, as high level as one could get without getting to the very, very top level in WWE for a long time. You can go back a couple weeks and uh, listen to the conversation that Mike and I had if you need a refresher on that. But I want to talk about night one of WrestleMania, and we will definitely talk about the beginning because that is where I think you have the most uh, unique perspective on matters. But I think that we got to start with the main event. I, I feel like WrestleMania was done right in the sense that you you leave when it, when that when the last match. It's not just WrestleMania; it's every big pay per view, but WrestleMania specifically, when the last match leaves you feeling the way it intended to make you feel, it kind of makes the entire show seem like a success, doesn't it?
0: Oh my God, one hundred percent. It's yeah. it's the old adage, Sam, that uh, you always want to leave them going home happy. And and look, I will I will say that I was skeptical of WWE approaching this year's WrestleMania with another two night extravaganza. Uh, you know, I just thought that with your first show back, it didn't necessarily fit where we were in the world compared to last year. But I sit here in front of you, and I sit corrected. Yeah,
1: and I think that I think that the two-night thing, because I was thinking about that a lot as I was watching the first night, was this two-night thing allows attention to be paid to a lot of stories and superstars that it might not get paid to if you were trying to pack in both rosters into one night. I don't know that Bad Bunny would have gotten as much time if the entire show had been one night. Uh, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't have had the women's tag team turmoil on pay-per-view. I I don't know that Seth and Cesaro would have been able to just put on a great wrestling match in the middle of the show if you were trying to pack everything into one night. So I, I, I am kind of liking this thing. And you also have the opportunity where it's like, okay, would WWE have put Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks on as the last match of the night? If the other option was Roman edge and Daniel Bryan, triple threat, that might've been a tougher call. I don't know if that call would have been made, but when we have two nights to play with, we can have this moment without any, without it costing anybody anything.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely, Sam. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was texting with a buddy of mine last night during SmackDown because I obviously, you know, I don't really try Uh, to reach You mean WrestleMania SmackDown? WrestleMania SmackDown. Again. I sit in front of you correctly. And we were just kind of talking about it. And I I don't pay attention too much to the spoilers. I like to kind of see stuff as I get it. If I can't watch something, I'll just try to recap it on Twitter or something. And the magnitude of talent that were featured in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal just kind of showed you how valuable that real estate was going to be across two nights of WrestleMania. And you know, to your point, if it were one night, you know what would the landscape have been like what would the card have looked like Would the matches felt rushed what was going to be you know what what sort of elements were going to be filled in there i mean you know you can go back to wrestlemania 29 and the famous story that wound up playing out on total bellas as much as people think that was you know dramatized for that show but it was reality in that wrestlemania 29 was going so heavy that the women's six man tag match that was slated, maybe been six women or a six or an eight woman. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that match was cut altogether for the show to the sh- you know, it was cut from the show for time. So while
1: the show was happening.
0: While the show was happening, yeah. Yeah, because at the time there was no WWE network. You were you were bound by the confines of traditional pay-per-view and uh you know, a hard start time and a hard end time. And now that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter when you're running your own ship with a WWE network being on Peacock. But again, just shows you how valuable that real estate is. And the landscape would have been completely different had we been down to one night tonight.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at guys like Corbin, Nakamura, obviously Jay Uso, who won the battle royal, it was it was a loaded battle royal to the point where it was it, it was kind of it, you were alerted, you were alarmed a little bit like, man. Like, I don't feel like there's room. I'm, I'm not looking at WrestleMania going, it needs more matches. But I guess the talent roster is this deep now. And sometimes I think you don't even realize it. But but I want to talk about the, the, the main event itself. Because I think that you and I had a pretty similar uh, sight looking at this match going into it. Which was, I know that I was skeptical of the way that Bianca Belair, skeptical and critical of the way the Bianca Belair-Sasha Banks story had been told. To me, I said this on Twitter, people thought I was nuts. Some people, I think a lot of people agreed, actually, but, you know, you always read the ones that <laughs> that are negative. Um yeah. <laughs> But I truly think that Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair as a pairing is potentially a Rock-Austin-level rivalry for this generation. That's what I see when I see them. Now, I don't know... I, and I thought going in before it was announced that this was going to be the main event, I was really thinking about it and I had decided that this absolutely should be the main event because I had this faith that regardless of the fact that the story was, it was what it was going in and that the whole, the weirdness of the tag team stuff, like none of that really amounted to anything at all. And even. Even on the go-home show, even on SmackDown, there wasn't this feeling that went beyond, I just want to see this match because I want to see this match. Like, the story wasn't the hook. It was, I don't know what they're doing on TV, but I do know that once the cuffs are off and Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair are in the ring, that's where the story is going to get told. And I think they were hugely successful in doing that tonight.
0: Oof understatement yeah just an absolute understatement and yeah you and i both shared the same critiques uh across the board in just the build of this from the moment that bianca won the royal rumble to the moment that she declared that sasha was the champion that she was going to face at wrestlemania was with bianca you already have this character the est which by nature is a cocky braggadocious character that she backs up in every sense of the word on the other side of the coin, you have the boss, the established veteran who really has done it all and seen it all. She's been there twice and you know back around, but for some reason, you know the narrative and the creative that they were trying to push onto two established characters just didn't fit. It was very much a square peg in a round hole situation, and it wasn't until about two weeks out from WrestleMania where you saw WWE lean into the story that they should have been telling from jump street yeah and it made a world of difference like if i'm not mistaken sam i can't remember when it was i think it may have been SmackDown the week prior to the go home to wrestlemania episode they had run a promo or maybe it was raw they'd run a promo uh promoting the match for sasha bianca at wrestlemania and just the bites that they used and you know just really painting that story of this cocky young outstanding new presence and the established veteran who is also pretty much at the top of the mountain you know that story was so beautifully told in that promo and i remember just sitting in my living room just going oh my god how did you not do this from jump street it was hand it was gift wrapped and just handed to you yeah and all you had to do was just let the thing flourish but we got something more than what we anticipated so As a fan, I'm grateful, but as a storyteller, I just, you know, as much as I love a great match, a great match doesn't mean as much without a great story, and I will stand and fight anyone on that hill till the day they put me in the ground.
1: That's why I also look at this as that sort of long-term thing. Like, I think this should be a rivalry that lasts years and years and years, so it's not even necessarily about this micro-level story that leads us to the WrestleMania match. It becomes... This is a chapter, what we saw. Leading up to this match and and this match itself tonight, this wasn't the end of the story. This was a chapter and something that should last a long time. I mean, the more I thought about the Austin-Rock rivalry, the more I thought that it paralleled this one because I think it goes beyond even what they were talking about in the promos. When you think about Sasha Banks, Sasha Banks is that veteran at this point, but I don't think that character feels that way. You know, I don't think that character feels like... She's been on the top of the mountain. She lives on the top of the mountain. I think that character still feels like she's fighting for every scrap that she gets. It's one of those things that, you know, the outside perception is like, yep, Sasha Banks is one of, if not the best women on the roster. But I think the character Sasha Banks still feels like she needs to prove that. And that's because that Sasha is one of the people that created the division. Ultimately, like the, the women's wrestling division in the WWE, as we know it. It was Sasha and Charlotte and Bailey and Becky. Like they, they had to. They were fighting to be a part of something that didn't even exist. So not only did they have to get to the top of the mountain, they had to build the mountain itself. And once that mountain is built, and you've gotten yourself to the top of it, well, now you've opened the door for just this immense amount of talent to come in and be a part of it themselves. And that, to me, is where Bianca Belair comes in where she's like, well, I've worked just as hard as you did. Just because you're the one that built the mountain doesn't mean that I can't be the one standing on top of it now. And I see like the way that Austin did not come into the WWE to be a main eventer and to be the WWE champion. He had to completely change the industry, claw and scratch and and change everything in order to be the guy. And he opened that door for somebody like The Rock to come in and The Rock goes, yeah, I understand that you 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 built this mountain, and now it's my time to stand on top of it. And that, to me, is such a great story. It's a story anybody could relate to. It's a story that, depending on where you are in life, you're going to have sympathy for one or the other. There are going to be people that are like, no, Sasha's time isn't up yet. She's just getting started. And there are going to be other people that are going like, well, you know what? I like the new kid. I like this. and And... That, I think, ultimately, and ultimately, I think that's the story that played itself out in the ring with Sasha and Bianca
0: tonight. Well, Sam, you said something pretty important there at the beginning, and you were dead on the money in terms of where the Sasha Banks character is and how she may not necessarily always feel like that truly established veteran. And I think, not I think, I know the Sasha Banks character has a chip on her shoulder because the woman behind the Sasha Banks character has a chip on her shoulder. Uh, You know, Mercedes and Sasha are very much one and the same where Sasha is just an extension of who Mercedes is. And that chip is there because she does still feel like, even though she's established, that she's still proving herself. And I don't feel that I'm speaking out of school by saying it. Because uh, I feel like the proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it even played out in storyline after Sasha became SmackDown Women's Champion, and I never realized it. Because again, when you're inside, it's you kind of you kind of lose sight of the forest when you're amongst the trees. But the whole stat about Sasha have never ha- had never successfully defended a title after winning it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you knew so that whole, she did. You knew that she did. You know, and you yes. knew it mattered to her. Yeah, one hundred percent. And the fact that you have, again, you know, to to kind of go to your Rock Austin correlation, that you do have this this new this new presence in your locker room, this you know this just absolute freak of an athlete, Bianca Belair, who's got you know star just written across every inch of her. Um, you've got this presence coming in, but you, there's there's definitely that feeling of hey, I'm still here right and as you said right like i'm at the top of the mountain and, and i don't want anybody on the top of this mountain with me this is my time this is my spot um you know so that chip is definitely there and i love the correlation of rock austin because you know normally that's a especially now where we are sam and kind of the 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 overall temperature of the business you would say that's a pretty unfair label or burden even to put onto talent mm-hmm. I firmly believe that Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair can carry that banner of that rock Austin feud vein. And I think they have the potential to take it even farther because these really are two once in a generational athletes. And I know that statement just sounds redundant. It's like pluralizing the lone Rangers, right? Shout out airheads. (laughs) But these two women are so unbelievably special and gifted and talented and the story's there, it's baked in and they finally leaned into it, they being WWE, you've got legs, you can take this across years and they're both still so young that there's still so much time to invest into this story and just watch it develop. And it's not something that has to happen consistently over the course of the next couple of years. Just like Rock Austin, you can break away and revisit, and it'll still mean that much, if not more, every time you go back.
1: And by the way, if there's anything we've learned from WrestleMania's have passed, just because something is once in a lifetime doesn't mean it can't happen twice.
0: No, absolutely. <laughs> twice in a lifetime is a great monitor. It's great. It's
1: fantastic it's almost better in a lot
0: of ways. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, so absolutely.
1: was there a point? Because I know for me there was there was a singular moment in the match. When I was like, oh, this is going to actually exceed expectations and expectations were high and it's tough when expectations are high. Like it's always when you go into a pay-per-view, like I remember like Great Balls of Fire was a pay-per-view where the expectations were incredibly low. I mean, we can talk about WrestleMania It's like WrestleMania 31 had very, very low expectations, right? Great Balls of Fire works in the same way. But WrestleMania 31, I remember I was there and I was sitting there and people bought tickets going, this is going to suck. Like that was the vibe. And the first match happened and and Brian won the Intercontinental title in this amazing ladder match. And people were like, oh, well, that was good. But I think everything else is going to suck. And as the night went on, slowly but surely, things did not suck. And then you got to Roman and Brock and everybody was like, "Okay, but this is definitely going to suck. And Seth actually comes out and cashes in. And because expectations, I think, were low, it And then this amazing thing happened. It made the amazing thing even better. So it can be really difficult when expectations were as high as they were going into Sasha and Bianca. But I think that they actually exceeded those high expectations. And for me, there was a moment. But I want to ask for you, was there a singular moment where you were like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be that this is going to be. Yeah, this is going to be it
0: yes so and just like you i am curious to see where that moment came for you for me though uh there was a moment of worry at the beginning because as as emotional and as genuine as it was i was really worried when bianca started to cry yep. when they when they were facing off uh because emotions can get the better of you in a good way and a bad way and i was really hoping that she was able to channel that up and i think sasha smacking her in the face kind of brought her back down to earth but the moment that I knew that we were in store for something special was the spot where Sasha dove out onto Bianca. Bianca rolls through, picks Sasha up, gorilla presses her, walks her up the stairs, and launches her into the ring. When that, I, I legitimately, Sam, was sitting on that couch over my shoulder there. And I, like God bless my neighbors, but I just got up out of my chair and said, holy shit. <laughs> Dude, same moment. exact. Same yeah. moment,
1: And I felt the same way about the, about the emotion thing too. It was like, if this works, that's a beautiful moment that you just captured. But at the same time, I'm going to, she, the, you can forget your story and, or just lose your story. You know, if you get lost in your own real life emotions, cause that's what we saw real life emotions, then you can not, you, 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 you're sometimes not back into the story. I mean, that's why people method act because they don't want their real life to come out on screen. But yeah, no, for me, it was the exact same moment where I was like, the roll through I thought was cool. Yes, and then when she very got Cena-esque. Her, yes, and then when she got her up in that press, and it wasn't really a helped press either. It wasn't one of those presses where Sasha is, it's a push-up, like, like she's planking on the shoulder. It was Bianca carrying that weight. Like, that was Bianca's shoulders doing everything. And I'm going, oh, my God, and I'm like, what's the plan? When she walked up the stairs, that's when I was like, yep, this is it, because that... Dude, the fact that Bianca is as young in wrestling as she is and has really only been on the main roster for a year, and half of that time was vignettes. And now she's got a main event of WrestleMania. She's got the balls to go for that spot, and then it pays off. That's when I'm like, this is this is legendary. This is a legendary match.
0: Yeah, I mean, you go back to your Rock Austin correlation, right? Rock debuted in November of 96. I and, mean, you know, he'd been doing USWA and paying his dues down there, but he really showed up on the big scene in November of 96. He and Austin had WrestleMania 15 in March of 99. Yeah. You know what I mean? So again, just a short span. It just speaks to the type of athletes and performers uh, that, you know, Rock and Bianca were and are.
1: You know, also was uh, an amazing spot, I thought. It was when, you know, Sasha does that move where she does the where the opponent is in the tree of woe and then is holding themselves up by their hands. And then she does the stomp. The fact that Bianca just didn't hold herself up and Sasha had to roll through that. I was like, yeah, because that's one of those things that you ask. Like It always looks cool. But you're also like, why is that person holding themselves up for that? That doesn't make any sense. And the fact that you just went logical. And Bianca was like, I'm not going to let you just stomp me in the chest right now. <laughs> and then, and then she moves and Sasha just went full force into the corner. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I started laughing because I was thinking about, uh, you know, when Alberto Del Rio first started doing that in WWE, I would always be like, well, why wouldn't you just let go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, it was there, like, there's your, there's your foil.
1: There was a, there was a spot like that uh, in the gauntlet eliminator at takeover that I loved when Bronson Reed catches uh, Leon Ruff after the splash and then picks up Leon Ruff and throws him in the ring at Swerve Scott and Swerve ducked instead of catching him and letting him take him down. And I was like, yeah, that's what you should always do. And, like, unfortunately, Leon just, like, went down like a sack of potatoes. But I'm like, yeah, of course you duck when somebody throws a person at you. Like, thank God. Thank God we saw some logic. What did I thought the finish, I loved the finish because it felt like a false finish. And I think Michael Cole probably felt like what I was feeling, but it felt like, (laughs) it felt like a, like a false finish. Like when they were just kind of jockeying to figure out whose finisher was going to get on, which I love that, you know, they were going back and forth and then Bianca misses. Sasha tries to get her. She's and then Bianca. And because they didn't do it 10 times, they only did it like four times. It felt like, Oh, this isn't it, but it, I think it, it lended so much credibility to Bianca's finisher that she got the clean pin because she hit the finisher that it made me go like, Oh my God. Like, like, cause it could have even timing wise. It's like, if that match had gone on another five or 10 minutes, that wouldn't have been crazy. Right. It was. No. So, and you go, Whoa, that was, she did it.
0: I loved it. So there was a, before, before we get to the finish for me, Right. Like there was another point, again, where I just had kind of like, a, oh, my God, Bianca is ready for this. She's ready for that next level, um, you know, because of the folks that I was brought up uh, in this business surrounded by. And especially uh, guys like Pat Patterson and Shawn Michaels, who uh, I always learned from them, the importance of the art of selling. Mm-hmm. Selling is just as important as what your physicality is in the ring. There was a moment where Sasha, this is where Sasha had wrapped Bianca's braid around her arm and had done, and locked her in the bank statement. They took a great shot of Bianca reaching for the ropes, but if you looked at her face, Sam, there was desperation, panic, everything else in between, conveyed in that face that Bianca had during that moment. And you know, Sasha obviously was brilliant as she always is, but man that moment for me kind of was like, shit, that, all right, she really is ready for this. If it happens, then you go into the finishing sequence. And as you said, it wasn't like, it wasn't overly done of counter to counter to counter to counter to counter to counter. What I loved was when Sasha went to do the old tug of war with Bianca's hair. And I wish they would have had, you know, a quick cutaway of just Bianca when she looked up at Sasha and did the head shake as opposed to the hard camera because you really couldn't see her full face. But when Bianca did that head shake and she just fucking rips the hair right and just goes right for Sasha, man, that was, it was awesome. That The finishing sequence was great. That match was a masterpiece. I would say probably one of, if not the best wrestling matches, doesn't matter gender or anything else, The best wrestling match I've seen in a very long time. Yeah.
1: And probably the best on the show, which is tough. I mean, it's a when you have Seth Rollins versus Cesaro and you're talking about that wasn't maybe the best wrestling match on the show, that means that the other had to be home run out of the park. Um, Yeah. I thought that I also thought that Bianca, like, I hate because it's such a trope, the whole like looking shocked after the almost three count. Cause she kicked out of this thing. And then the yeah. announcer has to say the look of desperation on the face. The like, shock and disbelief. Yeah. And it's like, you, you really have to be creative to make that feel new. Cause it's every single match. And I thought Bianca, the fact that she overdid it as much as she did it. I thought it added to it. Like I thought it made it, it made me feel like Bianca was having a real reaction to it. That's the other thing with, with the, with the finish being what it was and, like, you know, the the fakey, the fakey, the fakey, it didn't feel choreographed. And so much of this match didn't feel like a dance. And so much of wrestling these days ends up feeling like a dance. And, like, you can, you can feel them working together. And the art of wrestling is that the people in the ring are so good that they are working together and they know exactly what each one of them is doing. But we can't tell that they're that aware and hyper aware and working together. And I thought that it was it was great that it did not feel so choreographed, and it didn't hurt either, Mike. That that literally the best hair whip that Bianca has ever done ever. She's done it in every match. The best hair whip she's ever done landed for this match. Ah.
0: Uh, ah. Like, uh just ah, that's all that's all I can say especially after you see the wealth of Sasha when she was down at the ring after Bianca went over yeah uh mm. like mm. It, it, hands down the, the the best hair whip that you probably <laughs> that you probably ever will ever have you know who knows what who knows what's to come out of it in the future um but you know you said it best sam and you know i was i said this when i was talking when mark madden and i were talking on the podcast on our podcast the best wrestling show period cheap plug uh when we were talking about the brit baker thunder rosa match mm-hmm. and what i loved about that match was that it felt like a fight it didn't look like a dance i use those words exactly and to me and just like you that's when wrestling is at its best, mm-hmm. and the funny part is that for viewers, for us, it's always at its best when it looks like a fight, mm-hmm. and for the talent, when it's when it's that that good of a groove for them, it feels like a dance. You right. I mean? So it's it's kind it's kind of it's kind of that inverse feeling. But like when you're gelling with somebody and you've got that chemistry, it feels like you're dancing. So you know what they put on tonight was nothing short of just a classic, uh, and it's going to be it's you know. Everyone for the longest while has always used Savage Steamboat uh, as a WrestleMania match of reference for the, you know, for, you know, as like a benchmark, what you should hit, you know, Sean and Brett also gets thrown into the conversation, not as much Bianca and Sasha will be the big leader in that conversation going forward.
1: I think Sasha finally topped Sasha and Bailey at TakeOver. Yeah. Maybe. May, uh, I mean uh, history's going to have to tell that, right? We're fresh with this. It's like but you know, I mean that match is your, always going to be special because it was first, but yeah, I mean
0: yeah, it was it, so it was special because it was first. And th- what was so great about that match outside of the performance, Sam, was the genuine emotion that was involved with it. Yeah. You know, that's what made that match so great. You had Bailey who at the time was kind of the uh She was the runt of the four horsewomen litter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, she was very much the overlooked and forgotten one. So she has this incredible moment, but you have that even more emotional moment on the back end of all that where the four horsewomen come together and kind of give you that curtain call sort of feeling. Uh, I think this surpassed it. And it's hard for me to say, because that match does hold a very special place in my heart uh, from NXT TakeOver Brooklyn because of what that event meant to me personally. But, I think, I think Bianca and Sasha surpassed that, surpassed that match. And to me, that's the new benchmark for, for the women to hit. And, you know, look, and I think for the men to take a look at.
1: Well, let's talk about the beginning of the pay-per-view. Cause I mean, talk about unprecedented and, and just seeing you have talked a lot on your podcast and when you were on here before about WWE's production crew and the way they do television. And I've talked about that a lot too, especially after, you know, working with those guys and, and, you know, having that kind of realization and seeing what's actually going on behind everything. And it really is, I, it's, it's really remarkable actually on the Patreon uh, on our, on our, with our Patreon group, the not Sam shills. Uh, I do zoom meetings, you know, before the pay-per-view. So we all got together for like an hour before WrestleMania and we were talking. And one of the guys in the zoom room was at, in the stadium, he was at the show and That's he awesome. was, he was marveling. At the crew, 10 minutes before the pay-per-view went live, the cage went down so they could wipe it down. And it's like, bro, WrestleMania starts in 10 minutes. And we have to get this cage dry before it starts. I Like, little things like that are just so wild to think about. But, I mean, I, I, I think even more wild than all that is the fact that in all time, not just in WrestleMania history, but in general, there. it's not just WrestleMania that is run in open air venues. And in every time, I remember people, when you go to New York, people are worried about it. WrestleMania 29, I remember, you know, reading about the heated rings and how, you know, there were space heaters in the posts so that in case it snowed, it's New York, the weather's not reliable. We can still have the matches. We'll have the covering over the ring and everything. I mean, uh, Wembley state. I was in Wembley stadium in 1992 for SummerSlam open air. And it's like, it's England. It rains all the time. And and you're going like, okay, we got to be ready for this. And everybody's always prepared and it always ends up fine. And then as Michael Cole, so eloquently pointed out, we go one year, one month and one day without a performance in front of fans, get into an open air venue. And for the first time, you have to delay the start of a show, and it's WrestleMania. What did you think? So the show starts, which I thought was a great start to it, because there was a huge debate. who's going to get the first pop? Is it going to be Drew? Are they going to bring out Hogan and Titus? Are they what are they going to do? The fact that Vince came out first and all the talent was on stage, I thought that was that was the move. F, w, basically, the first pop was for the fans, ultimately, right? Like that was who got the first pop. I thought that was a great move. BB Rex is singing uh, America the Beautiful. You know, way to go, BB the, the montage starts, the pirate guy's talking, whatever. All good. And then the consummate professional, except when he very seldom screws up the call on a classic WrestleMania match. The consummate professional, Michael Cole, sits there. And I swear, I thought he was going to say we got some bad news because he was with the Raw crew. I thought he was gonna say we've got some bad news, Tom Phillips won't be here. And I so thought to, I. I thought to myself, they usually d- wouldn't do that. They would just go about their business. It's not that big of it, it's you know, when, when somebody on the broadcast team isn't there, somebody fills in and and we keep it moving. But I was like, they're doing an on-camera for this. I was like, Oh, good for Tom. And and no, it's it's you might have noticed that Tom Phillips is not here, but regardless of that, we ain't starting the show. <laughs> like, it ain't time for WrestleMania yet. I know you thought it was. And I'm like, what, are they going to vamp for five minutes? And when I realized, like, what I saw when I was watching the first 40 minutes of the show, which is crazy, is literally, I think, and you you watching it probably knew exactly what was happening. But I think everybody just making it up as they went.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's funny, right? Like to go back to Cole real quick, Uh man. So <laughs> earlier tonight you saw it. I put a tweet out just praising Michael Cole. Cause he's the uh, greatest
1: dude. He is. He
0: really is. Yeah. And, and of all nights for him, <laughs> if I can shit in the bed, he doesn't call. He doesn't on the finish call for WrestleMania, but I still stand by my words, man. Like, look, I I love Jim Ross. I love Mauro Ronaldo. I produced them both extensively. I was JR's PA when I first started in the WWE. Bell to bell, JR is phenomenal. He has very few peers. There is a lot more to that position than just calling a wrestling match. And that's what people don't understand. Me claiming that Michael Cole is the best in the game is not... A detriment or being disrespectful to Jim Ross, to Morrow, to Gordon Soli, to Lance Russell, Sean Mooney, to, sh- the legendary <laughs> Sean Mooney, Lord Alfred Hayes, Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain and Vince McMahon in, himself, the boss himself. It's in no way me disrespecting those men, their body of work, and their legacies. But there is far more to that job. And trust me, I know from experience than calling a match bell to bell no one can handle that pressure can navigate the show can transition from element to element from mood to mood the same way that michael cole can and i will i will gladly debate anybody and take this as far as it needs to go and it's something that needs to be heard and appreciated and understood it doesn't just mean what happens between the bell that's not your only job there is a far greater purpose. To that position and nobody feels it quite like coal cans quite like Cole can look at me see i can barely talk See, it's imagine tough. doing that for five hours straight right it's tough <laughs> it's tough <laughs> but yeah. to your to, to the beginning though to the to the whole point of the the the, the beginning of the show so when the announce when i hear cole's making the announcement that there's you know the the weather delay is happening you know i started seeing questions on my twitter about you know what was what was going on and if they had a plan, a lot of folks were very critical about what they saw on the first 45 minutes of WrestleMania. Uh, I refuse to believe that they went into the biggest show of the year under these circumstances, knowing that weather was looming because it's not like, you know, look, there's a weather forecast and people check the fucking weather. They got the app. Yeah. There's an app. Yep. They even, Hey, they even have meteorologists down in Tampa. My sources tell me. <laughs> But there's no way that they didn't know that this weather was going to be an issue. There's no way that there wasn't any sort of contingency plan. Maybe not fully in place, but there's no way that there wasn't something. And maybe it was a situation where they did have a plan and they just weren't expecting to use it. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I don't. I wasn't there. But in terms of how it went off, number one, hats off to the talent.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: My God. And I guarantee you there were no scripts. Maybe a bullet point, at the most. Hats off to the men and women of those locker of the of the locker room that just went out there and leaned into their characters and just cut some fucking awesome promos. Um, and shout out to everyone involved, the production crew, uh, set carp, stage managers, everybody, everybody on that crew, uh, to really understand and appreciate it. The only correlation that I could make in terms of what people see on a on a you know normalized basis i guess uh that don't have that behind the curtain peek at what the men and women do that work for wwe behind camera uh think of a nascar pit crew think of how coordinated and unbelievably fast and well-moving a nascar pit crew is and the pressure of what they have to do and how quickly they have to do it that is what i imagine went into effect once they realized that the rain was going to affect that show um, you've done a red carpet hall of fame show with me in the past, right? Sure. So those shows were pretty much people are walking in and you had known positions. I had known positions of where the interviewers were going to be. And it was just a matter of communication between the stage managers and the production truck where Kevin Dunn was and, and gorilla where Vince was all right. I've got Sarah Schreiber and she's got the new day. Great. Uh, I've got. Caleb Braxton and here's, you know, Kevin Owens, or I've got Patrick, the new, or Kevin Patrick, and he's got, you know, somebody. That's what it was. And it was pretty much a ping pong match back and forth because in essence, you're just filling time.
1: Yeah, but you know yeah. what? You know what was so impressive to me? And it was really funny because I tweeted out this thing that was like, I hope everybody that's been complaining about uh, overly scripted promos is enjoying, you know, the beginning of WrestleMania with an exclamation point. And I think I like I just come off as a real jerk cuz people thought <laughs> I was like people were like uh we are and I'm like oh good. Like I wasn't being sarcastic. Like I I don't know why people like they were really good promos and like the talent was really getting stuff across and and I think the idea that you, in I believe any other sports live entertainment organization when something that unexpected is unfolding that quickly, because I think something that's key here is it's not like they didn't know it was going to rain. And then it started raining and they had a weather delay. It was no, we're going to do the show in the rain. We didn't realize there would be lightning directly over the ring. Like, I mean, I don't know if you, I'm sure you noticed Mike, cause you would, you would notice this thing, but I, I was amazed that the first match, the commentators were standing at ringside, and I was like, I was like, I wonder why. And then I realized that's because they're wired in. Equipment. Yeah. And they had to push everything under the cover because the commentary table is all the way back at the guardrail. So the 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 ape the, the guard the, the cover that's over the ring doesn't go back that far. So they had to be under that cover, but all these little things, but every other organization would have put the camera. It's not even like a TV thing, they don't have to worry about people changing the channel. They would put the camera. On Cole, Byron, and Joe, and they'd spend maybe they'd send somebody out to ringside. Maybe they wouldn't. They'd spend forty minutes on that table. That's what they would do. And it's the WWE. They had, they had Cole, they had Kayla, they had Kevin. They had, they had four different set locations. Person to person. Let's send it to this. Let's send it to this. Let's send it to this. Let's throw this video package. And it's like. The fact that they were doing that much on the fly, that's what the WWE does.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, look, you it's very easy to say that you're great and you're good at something when everything goes well all the time. It's a true testament to how great you are as an entity and as a team when you do well when things are at their worst. And this was probably the worst case scenario mm-hmm. to kick off the show. Um, you know, look, were there some shortcomings? Absolutely. I thought some of the, uh, some of the backstage talent didn't have a fair showing, uh, you know, and hopefully they look at their performances and kind of, you know, realize their shortcomings and, and they address them and they fix them. And I think you use something like that to your advantage. Yeah.
1: Right? that can trust you- me when, when announced talent <laughs> screws up, it can be a really good learning experience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shane, what was it you called Braun dumb? Uh, <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is stupid. Yeah, okay, I'll remember that next time. Yeah, I'll remember that next time. Yeah. But you know, it's a it's a true testament to how how good you really are when you can rebound and when you can move forward and when you can do something like that when things are bad. Uh, and I was, you know, my family for almost 12 years. So for me, like, I was just proud to see that everyone really scrambled and banded together. And made it happen. You know, was it the cleanest and the prettiest TV? No. But was it, did it serve its purpose? And did you actually manage to highlight some things that may have been shortcomings prior? You know, especially with, you know, how vocal the wrestling uh, community is on the internet? Absolutely. So I I loved the beginning of the show. To me, like, I was getting like all kind of fired up watching it. Uh, and just really kind of just like, man, if I was there, I'd be doing like, it was, it was just a really cool feeling. Yeah. I was thinking about
1: you. Cause this is your first WrestleMania at home. Literally even last year at WrestleMania, you were still there and I'm sitting, I'm like, how did, after everything we've been through, how did me and Mike Mansuri just become a couple of marks watching WrestleMania on Peacock? What the hell happened?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a, uh, it was, it was surreal. You know, like I was getting, I was getting texts uh, from buddies outside of the business that are you know, also fans. And they, you know, I got that question a lot, like, hey, dude, how does it feel, you know, to not be there? Like, I actually, I wasn't present at the taping of last year's WrestleMania. I had a, had a little bit of a, of a health thing going on that prevented me from traveling down, but I wound up producing the kickoff shows with Rosenberg and Graves Mm. live from the TV studio in Stanford. So I still got the feel of WrestleMania, but that was the first time that I wasn't really truly there. But Again, it was so early and fresh into the pandemic that, like, you didn't really know which way was up, and it was just a matter of, all right, what do we need to do to get this done, and what part can I play to help make this happen? To truly be removed from it this year, uh, it, it felt weird, you know what I mean? Because there really is, there really is a lot of pride uh, for everyone involved that goes into making WrestleMania happen, because you know it really does does have that feeling and carry that weight of the Super Bowl for people in WWE, both on camera and behind the camera, Um, because there's a lot of sacrifice, Sam. And I don't know if people really realize or appreciate that and what it takes to just be part of it, especially to be part of the TV and the touring side of things. You know, you're not as home, you're not home as much. uh, You're not around your family. The hours are long. The travel sucks. You know, you've got office hours, you've got other obligations that are related to work. So to see all that culminate every year into what turns into WrestleMania week was always a sense of accomplishment. I mean, you got your ass kicked because it's a a very labor intensive week, but the sense of accomplishment and the pride that everyone would feel uh, and that I know that they're feeling right now and this is just night one uh, is indescribable because... You know, it's it's the culmination, right? So for, yeah, I may not be a wrestler, but, you know, I, I cut my teeth as a producer. If you're a graphic uh, a graphic artist, whatever the case may be, you work to get to this point. And it is your Super Bowl. It's your, I won my, this is my championship moment. Hooray for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, somebody that had that moment, how good was Titus? I love Titus in that role. I mean, he just brought, he was just, he was just energy. He was just pure energy. I thought Titus O'Neill was fantastic. I mean, Hogan was Hogan, of course, but Titus O'Neill, I thought he was awesome.
0: Titus was great. I was actually a little bit disappointed that we didn't get more of Titus throughout the show. Yeah. And I, to me, that was kind of the. Uh, it's such a tricky thing with the with the with the hosting gig that they throw on people. I mean, I feel like since Rock did it, you know, it's always kind of under delivered. Since then, I think like Alexa Bliss hosted a couple of years ago. One year they had the New Day host. I think when we were in Orlando. Yes. Um, but you know, I would have liked to have seen Titus featured more. I think if you're going to put somebody in that position, you need to do more with it. Otherwise it just seems like a publicity stunt.
1: Yeah, dude, I would make Titus O'Neil, the GM of raw. Like, I think he's awesome. I just, I think
0: think Titus had, Titus had one of the greatest moments at last year's WrestleMania. What was it? Uh, was it after the, I think it was after the Firefly Funhouse match. They went went to him for an on camera. And he was just, his, his expression looking into the camera was phenomenal.
1: So great. So great. So let's talk about that opener. Drew versus Bobby. I think uh, that's the beauty of doing this match in the opening match. You can do whatever you want with it. It doesn't have yeah. to have that sort of end of WrestleMania feel to it unless you want. It could. You're you're allowed to, you know, Rollins got that moment when he opened 35 with Lesnar. So it can have that moment, but it doesn't have to. Um, I was, I was surprised. I was shocked. I thought, and I think this is one of those things that when you, when you think that, that WWE has this sort of overarching plan and isn't moving on the fly, like I don't think six months ago the plan was to have Bobby Lashley leave WrestleMania as the defending champion. You know, I I wouldn't think so. Uh, I I think that that was more. This is where we want to go. And then we'll read the room when he becomes champion and go, Oh wait, this is, we like this. This is what we want because, you know, I think people walked into WrestleMania thinking this is where Drew gets his flowers. Like he missed last year in the, and the victory over Brock and, you know, in being in front of a crowd. And this is where, you know, he's going to get to hold up the title after winning and he's going to conquer the unbeatable and he's going to beat Bob Lashley and he's going to be the WWE champion. And, To watch Drew go down and not only go down, but go down to the hurt lock. Like Bobby Lashley beat Drew McIntyre with a full Nelson tonight to retain the WWE Championship. I was like, wow. On one end, you could take it as that's a bummer for Drew, who did a lot of hard work over the last year to, you know, hold the company up on his shoulders when it was a tough time to do it. At the same time, I felt happy for Bobby Lashley, who it's like, look at WWE, not kind of going halfway, like, oh, kind of win. Uh, let's make both guys look strong. It was nope, leaving WrestleMania. We there is no mistake. When you turn on Raw on Monday night, Bobby Lashley's the man.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, you know, it's funny, right? Like I get accused a lot of being a, a WWE homer with a lot of my sort of takes, right? But that's because I spent a third of my life actually working there. I think if I spent a third of my life working at another wrestling company, I'd have more insight in terms of how they operate and what they do and how they do their business. I would hope so. (laughs) Right. So for me, you know, you mentioned like, right, six months ago, you would never have imagined that Lashley was going to be walking out of WrestleMania your champion, let alone walking in as your WWE champion. Right. I think what was interesting about the pandemic and the effect that it played on WWE specifically, and I would imagine this is probably the case with, Every other active wrestling promotion currently, I can't imagine that it's very easy to plan out things long term with COVID, because you never know who may who may wind up testing positive, uh, who may kind of just get pulled out for showing symptoms but not having it. There's just so many variables and so many unknowns that, you know, when you're trying to plot out right, because like we're always so used to WrestleMania stories, at least having you know, a three-month build, if that may be longer, if it's a story that you're pretty invested in. It was hard to get that this year, Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even on the other side of this, I mean, right, like, look, Charlotte Flair's not on the WrestleMania card. Wild. Right. And I guess it was, you know, broke a couple weeks ago that, you know, initially she was pulled because there was a, a there was a potential that she may have been pregnant. And then eventually, you know, she winds up testing positive for COVID. So it's very hard to factor somebody into these plans when you don't know what can happen and you're, all, you're living kind of show to show in terms of what you can advertise and what you can promote to get to your big show. I think what helps WrestleMania is that the WrestleMania brand is over and that it's this monster that WWE has spent 37 years building. Yeah. And very much like the Super Bowl, you can sell out the Super Bowl without knowing who's going to play in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's you- a it's a destination event. WrestleMania is now a destination event and has been for a very long time. Um, but to be able to pivot with the peaks and valleys of what COVID has done, uh, you know. In the in the wrestling game right like i think drew mcintyre had gotten COVID at one point so yeah you, you you find yourself in a position where you have to establish stars but across all parts of your card and going back to what we talked about earlier the conversation about even looking at smackdown with the andre the giant memorial battle royal and the cast of characters that were there that weren't featured in wrestlemania but they're such heavy hitters i think wwe actually did a really great job of building up the roster to the point where it had to become a plug and play situation based on, you know, who could go for WrestleMania and who couldn't.
1: Do you think it's, do you leave that match feeling like, Oh, that's a bummer. That's unfair to drew. He kind of deserved to have his moment or yeah. I mean, this isn't about giving people moments. That's this is the move that made sense for the story that we're telling right now.
0: It's the move that made sense for the story. I think it would have come across very phony, Sam, if you just had Drew go over for the sake of giving Drew his WrestleMania moment. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that his WrestleMania moment had to come at the beginning of the pandemic, where the culmination of the 16 year journey, 17 year journey, had to take place in front of nobody at the performance center, as opposed to Raymond James Stadium, like it was initially supposed to culminate for him. But I think if you, if you, if you, if you put it on him, what's the, what's the story going forward? Right.
1: Right. How is this not, how does this not feel like we're just starting this, this year the same way that we started last year? Like we're just now we're running in a circle. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I I was happy that it felt like a, a little bit more of a gutsy move and a little bit more of a forward thinking move to do it this way. You know, as much as I love Drew, then to just do that because, Ah, let's give him a pat on the head. And I don't think Drew wants to win the championship because people like him. You know, I think he wants, he, if he's going to be the guy, he wants to be the guy because he's the guy. And and so, yeah, I was just, uh, I was very interested in it. I thought it was a real strong way to start the show. Uh, the women's tag team turmoil match. So a couple of things, uh, a couple things stood out to me. I, you know, I love a botch. I've, 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 and I don't care. I will, I will point out every botch. Because my botches are pointed out to me. I don't complain about it. I embrace it. I make a t-shirt out of it. It is what it So is.
0: I'm still waiting on mine, by the way. You
1: deserve one. You you absolutely. Um, (laughs) Mandy falling down on the way to the ring was just about the funniest thing you could ever see at a WrestleMania. It was awesome. Just awesome. Poor Mandy, but it was awesome. And then uh, poor, I think it was Greg Hamilton. I don't think it was uh, Mike
0: Rome. Doing the announcing oh, for that it, match. It was Greg, Greg. It was Greg for the tag team tournament. Greg match. Hamilton. By
1: the way, Mike Roman, Greg Hamilton are great ring announcers. So this isn't an attack on their profession. It's just pointing out a funny moment where the thing that you don't want to happen happens, and you announce, unfortunately, that the person that just scored the pinfall got eliminated, and then Cole is sitting there going like, "No." That's not what happened. <laughs> and, like you never want the ring announcer, and you know somebody. I'm assuming, right? Somebody was in his ear going, "Correct it," because you never you as the ring announcer, you never want to be like, oh, I'd like to make a correction." <laughs> like it's not. You don't want to do that,
0: ladies and gentlemen. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but on a on on the positive side of things for that match, I thought Billy Kay is a treasure bill. I mean, I don't from the moment I thought she commanded attention. Like I, I am actually looking forward to, I liked that Natalia and Tamina won Cause I love the idea that I think it's just going to be an ass kicking tag team. Women's tag team match. It's going to be cool. But I thought Billy Kay left by far the biggest impression in that match. I thought from the moment that they came out and Billy put that curtain over Carmela and she's like, well, Carmela's like, what are you doing? And then, like, the entire walk to the ring, Billy is looking at Carmella and trying to copy what she's doing, and it's just so awkward. And then I I feel like Billy Kay has just become an expert at using every second of airtime that she gets as the best possible. She doesn't overdo it. She doesn't, you know, try to make it so that, like, okay, I got it. It's just... Right. And it's every opportunity. And I, I just thought she was so good.
0: It's funny, right? You, uh, you would say looking at the iconics before the split that you would have thought that Peyton would have been the Sean and Billy would have been the Janetti. Yep. And you've gotten the exact opposite. You yes. Know, Peyton cut that impassioned promo a couple months back on raw talk. And she laid an egg against Oscar. Mm-hmm. Billy, Uh, really has leaned into the entertainment side of things and has really capitalized and given herself a strong presence on SmackDown. Even if she's not working in the ring, she's made herself into a character that will occasionally find herself in the throes of a wrestling match (laughs) in terms of the gauntlet match. um, It
1: wasn't good. Which by the way, I thought the gauntlet I thought it was supposed to be tag team turmoil when they originally said it. Didn't they say it was going to be all the teams and the first team that gets a pinfall wins? Like, yeah, was- but
0: you know, card subject to change.
1: <laughs> yeah, but how could the rules of the match change but they didn't change the name of it?
0: <laughs> I know. I know. It was uh it it was a bit wonky, but you know, I feel like the whole thing obviously was just thrown together so haphazardly. Uh it very much seemed like WWE was heading to WrestleMania with just two women's matches across two nights of WrestleMania, which they probably would have been crucified for. Um you know hats off to Natty and Tamina, obviously, for getting the win and for getting that WrestleMania moment, and to everyone involved. Uh, I just unfortunately the match just was not very good, and it was it was it was just it was sloppy, it just kind of it was rushed. Like, it, I almost was getting the impression while watching it, what you know, that I was like, hmm, did they lose time, and is that why they're kind of rushing through things, and is that why things are kind of sloppy? Because you know, those, those are all established performers that. You know that they have; they all have their strengths, and they can go. But I it's just I, I think it fell short, and that was the uh, the weak point on the card to me.
1: Yeah, I felt that vibe too. Actually, that that there was something lost in like the direction, where like people were just on different pages, and maybe didn't exactly know what the goal of what they were doing was. Like when when I watch, even the like the botched like the botched announcement. When Cole was correcting him, he was saying, no, Liv won the match. And then it was like, no, actually, she just eliminated. There's still another team. It was like there was no, like, I don't think anybody involved really knew what was going on. I feel like that's a match that was probably changed maybe during the rain delay. Yeah,
0: you know what? But you may be right, Sam. They yeah. may have been done in an effort to save time, right? Right, they may. Yeah. Have, they may have just switched things up because, you know, they even lost 45 though, minutes. Yeah yeah and i would imagine right you're delayed 45 minutes uh raymond james stadium is a stadium that's run by the local tampa government mm-hmm. and a lot of times venues have a curfew mm. and obviously in the throes of a pandemic and you've got lightning uh kind of threatening the area because if you're in an outdoor sit- if you're in an outdoor setting uh like an outdoor gathering I forget what the mileage radius is, but if there's a lightning strike within wherever that radius is, you have to seek shelter. You can't be in your seats. Like even if you're working the event, you know, you got to kind of duck away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good call. Yeah. I think something, something went on there. Um, I thought Seth versus Cesaro was exactly what I thought it was going to be. which is great. I mean, it's just, just two pros that know what they're doing both entrances were great. I felt like you, the, Cesaro got the moment, and you felt it. You know, you could feel you could feel that Graves was feeling it emotionally. Like he's like, "That's my dude." Like you just you you felt what you were supposed to feel for Cesaro. I thought they did a great job of building up the the swing, even though you know that I I like that the swing is something that we've seen for years, but the fact that Seth thought that it was damaging to his pride. Just I'm put not it over that much more. Yes, now it becomes this thing that when Cesaro hits Seth, you know, not only is it a move, he just beats Seth on that level. So I thought that was great, and it was exactly what it should have been, and it was awesome and so cool to see Cesaro get a singles victory on his own at WrestleMania, and it's a great match. Um, I thought they also, speaking of good builds, even within the match, the build to almost getting in the ring, like I, I. When that match was first announced, I think people were like, what? Because there were rumors that AJ wanted to face Triple H at WrestleMania. And so when you go, not only is AJ not wrestling Triple H at WrestleMania, it's AJ and Omos versus The New Day. You were like, what? Like, huh? I thought it was going to be. But then something happened. And over the course of the last few weeks on Raw, I started feeling like people started to get excited about the prospect of seeing Omos in a ring. And it's like, you only had two matches announced for WrestleMania when that tag match was announced. That was one of the first matches announced for WrestleMania. So you started feeling like, oh, maybe there is something with this almost thing. Maybe it's not just like we're going to have the tall guy wrestle. I, having AJ be in that match as long as he was, I thought was really good because you build to it. and And this story they were telling where the New Day... Their strategy was to just not let AJ ever tag his partner, ever. <laughs> Xavier Woods yelling.
0: Yes, how great is that? that he's, he's yelling tag team psychology yeah. commentary to Cole and Graves. <laughs> so over to, to the Raw announced team. Yeah. It was so awesome. I mean, and to see the New Day as a whole uh, at the top with Biggie doing the intro mm-hmm. was absolutely great. Uh, Biggie, Biggie, there's a spy camera in the production truck that you know can see Gorilla. And when if I were ever producing a show that New Day was on, it was always great to watch Big E the way he does his all uh, his, oh, insert city name here announcement because the way he would just get into it and he's moving and he's feeling it was great. And I'm glad people got to see that uh, tonight at WrestleMania. But what a story. And the best part about wrestling that people uh, tend to overlook uh, goes beyond wins and losses it's when you can help to make someone uh and to help establish a new character because that character is going to become a player that down the road and in the immediate future even can be somebody that you can do good business with and the new day and aj styles worked their asses off to make almost yeah uh a guy that's never i don't think he's ever wrestled a match sim outside of his training at the performance center um you know and you got a guy that's 7 foot 3 that's athletic legit 7 that, foot 3
1: by the way not yeah. wrestling 7 foot 3
0: no sam he's 7 3 like i i'm not tall i'm i'm a i'm a five, i'm 5 foot 8 because of my head my hair and if i stand up straight <laughs> standing next to almost like i felt like i like his kneecap and i were were like <laughs> eye to eye um but he's a big athletic dude and he looks the part right he looks the part of a big scary giant and to be put in that situation has got to be nerve wracking, right? Like you go back to Big Show talking Well, Big Show's first match was Hogan, right? At, at a yeah, Halloween yeah. Havoc? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's another guy that's put in a situation because of his physical stature alone, almost is in that same situation, but he's unbelievably fortunate enough to have the best components to help him with that match and to help him be featured and to help him look strong. And that match was put together well and almost did the best with the little that he had to do and that he needed to do. You didn't need any more out of him than what he did. And, And that's one of those
1: things too, that when I feel like when the Hurt Business lost the tag championship, it was like, why would you take the title off the Hurt Business? And you don't understand that even though that was six weeks ago, it's because of this. Like you took the titles off the Hurt Business to get almost over. And it's like, wait, what do you mean? Well, because... You can't have the Hurt Business be the ones... They're heels. So you have to get the New Day in here, and the New Day are this, like, you know, they're the greatest... They're on the list of the greatest tag teams of all time at this point. So the idea that that's who Almost takes out, and the idea that they're, you know, is the biggest baby faces in the world, that's the story that needs to be told. I mean, I sent a tweet about it. I was, like, joking. But it really wasn't joking. If this were 95, 96, Almost would absolutely... Break the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. Because it wasn't oh, that- like he would definitely beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania. The streak never would have existed.
0: Yeah, but in fairness though, he probably would be in a nude colored bodysuit with true. awkward chest hair That's sewn true. into it. And
1: and they wouldn't have bothered to put him through the PC. Would it just he would have just come doing like big, you know, bonk. Head slams he, and stuff like that.
0: He, would, he, he could have been like the Yeti. He just <laughs> yeah. all right. all right, wow. what sort of mythical creature can we make this massive human <laughs> being into? Uh, yeah, yeah he, did, he did what he needed to do. And uh, again, hats off to everybody involved. The When they replayed that, you know, just massive bomb slam that he laid Kofi out with, that tight shot of Kofi's face while he's down and just sitting, oh. uh, the finish is so good. That's the other so thing, that,
1: by the way, you know, AJ uh, and AJ getting up on his shoulders, like, AJ is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. AJ is an established guy. Like, there are guys that won't do that because they don't want to, you know, seem like a goof or seem like second banana. Like, that really, that puts him over everything Xavier Woods and Kofi did for him. The, uh, you know, you can't say enough about it. But the camera the, 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 the camera shots, like, there was one moment when, first oh, Xavier Woods did this little thing. He was, like, doing, like, those shin kicks on him when he first got in the ring. Yeah. The, these kicks that almost wasn't selling at all. And then Xavier Woods did this tiny, he did the slightest sell where he just kind of tapped his shin as if like, Oh, that hurt. But I don't want to act like it's hurting, but it did hurt. And I'm like that little thing that adds to the, you're like, Oh, okay. I, those little details are so great. And at one point, Kofi gets slammed down and the camera, Kofi and Xavier are down on the ground and the camera is from the perspective of their head. And it looks up at almost and it was just, it was so cool.
0: Yeah, really well done. Great job in terms of presentation uh, to really put over how massive of a human being almost actually is.
1: All right. Let's wrap up our conversation of night one with, and I, I hope that the man that you work with now doesn't get jealous of a new celebrity debut coming in and taking a lot of attention Uh, I think uh, going way over expectations. I told somebody online, they were like, were you surprised or did you expect it to be good? And I said, I expected to go in surprised at how good it was. So yes, you know, that's like my expectations were met in the sense that I was like, wow, like Miz deserves so many accolades for the stuff that he did for bad. And Morrison too, by the way, Morrison taking that Canadian destroyer was just the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, I mean, Miz helping him tell the story. Miz and Morrison just did so great by Bad Bunny tonight. But it's not like he was a ragdoll either. Like, it's very clear that Bad Bunny spent a lot of time working really hard on putting together a really good performance tonight.
0: Understatement. Yeah. So... Here here you have a guy, Sam, that is a multi-platinum Grammy Award winner that grew up a massive fan of the business, respects and loves the business, which goes a tremendous way, a long way with the talent uh, in the locker room. He loved it so much and was dedicated to making this so good that he actually moved to Orlando so that he could train out of the performance center.
1: To me, and which you know, and anybody that thinks that that's not true, like the when I heard that, I was like, well, that would explain why he's on Raw every week because he lives there now.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he, I think he has a house in uh, in Miami. I'm sure he's got houses everywhere, but sure. Miami is kind of home base for him. But yeah, got put himself up in Orlando, uh, was training pretty diligently at the Performance Center, and you said it best, man. Hats off to Miz and Morrison because you know, the, again, like. The match doesn't happen that way without phenomenal foils to work with. And obviously to be so generous and so giving Mm -hmm. to make Bad Bunny look great. Bad Bunny, for his part, his stuff looked good. He sold like a million dollars. I would even argue that some of the selling was probably legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny.
1: It's really funny watching the referee and how he would check on Bad Bunny, because it wasn't the same way that you would check on somebody that's been there before. Like there, yeah. I feel like after pretty much every sort of even slightly major move that Bad Bunny t- took, the referee was there just to make sure, yeah, because he hasn't done anything like that
0: before. No, got to give him the office, brother. You're yeah. okay? Um, but, yeah, I, it, it, it's pretty wild, right? And I think I think what always – I think what made Pat's debut – And just his involvement overall uh, with NXT and WWE in general is the same thing that made Bad Bunny's experience what it wound up being. And I think it's that love and that respect. That's the base that everything is built off of. And it's so genuine that it resonates well with the fans, it resonates well with the talent. And, you know, it leads obviously to great things, Um, completely different performances and, you know, stories than what Pat was doing. But. Wow. I mean to be put to be thrust into that situation, uh, because he's not an athlete.
1: Right. That's the big difference. like and, people and were like not saying that he's
0: not athletic, but like he, someone, like someone's child, I guess was the uh was the uh was the determining factor in his his take. Melter's kid, I guess, said that he's not athletic or whatever from a basketball game. But <laughs> fucking bozos. <laughs> but you know, the guy went in, in, into something completely foreign to him. And was able to put that out. That doesn't happen without that dedication, without that passion, without that drive. And it was, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was from from people that I know that were there live, that were in in the crowd and attendance watching. Uh, they were asking me. They were like, "Hey, how is this sounding on TV?" Because the fucking reactions that this guy's getting during the match are unbelievable. And it did. It, I thought it resonated really well with, t- with uh, through the TV audience. I hats off to bad bunny man brother put in the work and it showed and a great a great night for damian priest as well he wasn't overly involved in the match like i thought he would be but i think he had enough of a presence to where he's going to come out and i think he's going to be a player for raw uh, on the other side of this man i I like the damian priest that we're seeing on raw more than i like the presentation of damian priest down at nxt
1: yeah um I think that Damian Priest not getting as involved as some would expect is just, it's more hats off to Bad Bunny and the fact that Damian Priest is only getting as involved in that match as he needed to be. Ultimately, people want to see Bad Bunny wrestle, right? That's why you're watching that match to begin with. But I'm so happy, because I'm a big Damian Priest fan, so I'm so happy that that's the spot for him. I do think that it feels a little bit more... Uh, multifaceted, a little bit more real life, a little bit more human on the main roster than it did in NXT. Um, And I also think that he's going to be a player. And while, yeah, I mean, I guess he didn't, he didn't have as much time in the ring to do moves and stuff like that. He had a kick-ass entrance at WrestleMania and it was a solo, like he got his own solo kick-ass entrance with the big 3D graphic and everything, so... I think uh, it's a, it's a pretty great way to introduce somebody because it doesn't always happen so easily. It's one one of the better ways that a character has been introduced coming up from NXT. I think.
0: I think so too. I and mean, I mean, look, Sam. In terms of WrestleMania moment, this match was almost not a tag match. Yeah. True. True. You know, I get. Uh, I I think there were some injuries behind the scenes uh, that both Priest and Morrison were going through that. You know, kind of put the tag component into jeopardy, which is which was how the match was being built, uh leading into WrestleMania. Then you kind of get into bad bunny Miz being made of singles and then eventually becoming a tag. But that that almost didn't happen. So if I'm Damian Priest, you know, fuck that's a win.
1: Well, Mike Mansuri, I always appreciate your wisdom and your insight. Uh I have to I have to cut
0: you off because I want to save you from getting heat. Why is that? did you did have, and maybe, maybe my amnesia is kicking in, but I feel like, did we not talk about Shane and Braun Strowman?
1: We didn't talk about Shane and Braun Strowman. Now my, and you're right. Thank you. My, my vision, I, I,
0: you, you still have to go there. I don't want you to wind up with
1: a- <laughs> <laughs> My vision, right. There was something about it where like I walked in and like, I feel like that story has been so, it's such a weird disjointed kind of story where I'm like, so it really is just that Shane decided one day to start calling this guy stupid. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Screw the whole thing. Let's take this all the way. And I'm going, what I want to have, I want this to keep going. I don't want this to end. I want I want Braun Strowman and Shane. I want Braun to be bullied by Shane for another month. And I'm like, what if we have Shane either get thrown, like the big Shane spot, because that's what we're all waiting for, right, is either to get thrown over the cage or through the cage, a la St. Valentine's Day Massacre, yes. so that, you know, Braun is still this powerhouse, Shane leaves in a heap, but on his way out on a stretcher, he can get the microphone and go, you know why I want Braun? Because you're so, so Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> and Just bra Like that would have, I thought that would have been like when I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I'm sure pitching that to Braun wouldn't have been the most pleasant thing in the world. Cause he's like, what, what are we doing? But I don't know. There's something about that story where it's like, if we're doing it, let's do it. And I would have, I would have, I would have laughed hilariously. And I think really respected it. If they had just gone all the way and had Shane, get one over on him because Braun is so stupid.
0: Do you remember that scene when we were kids of Vince getting wheeled out in the gurney and then just weakly putting his hand up and like giving like <laughs> yeah. this middle finger on the way out. Yeah. That would have been, would have been awesome <laughs> if Shane did exactly what you laid out there. Um, I was really skeptical of this match in terms of the build. Uh, obviously you knew you were gonna see something especially if you put Shane in the steel cage with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, But I was skeptical because I thought it was a little too just, you know, I I think I said on the best wrestling show period with Madden that I felt like this match and the Matt Riddle or excuse me, Riddle Seamus US title match were booked by a five-year-old in one match. You have uh, the rich kid called the big guy, stupid. And the other match you have a match being made because the big guy pushed the little guy off his scooter. I mean that is the story yeah yeah that's, yeah, that's but yeah. It, look it, it it resonated with the audience uh and I'm surprised by that the whole you know the the big guy being bullied and you know both guys played their parts well you know I thought the the slime and everything was a little bit childish but I think they over not overcame because maybe that's exactly what they were tending to do their story built itself into a situation where they delivered a uh, they delivered a match that needed to be exactly what it was God bless Shane for taking that bump off the top Uh, of the cage. I I felt my spine go out of alignment when he hit. Um, And hats off to Braun. I feel like like Braun, to me, I thought this was a bigger moment for Braun Sam than when he beat Goldberg last year.
1: I think so too, because it it felt like when he beat Goldberg last year, I think to fans, it was a scam. It felt like it was done out of necessity. Yeah. It felt like, you know, like smart fans, quote unquote, right? That kind of, it felt like we know Braun's not the guy. We know that you just did this at the last minute, right? There was something about it where it didn't feel, yeah, it didn't feel legitimate. This one, it almost feels like this story was built so that Braun could throw Shane McMahon off the top of a cage. And I really enjoyed, I, I liked uh, Braun grabbing his hand. And I was like, well, where is he going to like flip him over the top? I liked Braun tearing the cage and they did it in a way yeah, where it was just the corner of it. So it wasn't like it was a punch away wall and it wasn't like, okay, well, this is going to come into effect later. It was just, this is a big, strong guy that just ripped a hole in this cage. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I thought that that didn't disappoint. Uh, It was funny. You know, the, the toolbox up there, you know what, you know what made the toolbox okay for me being up there?
0: It was Adam Cole's toolbox.
1: It was, it was, it was Adam Cole's toolbox. I did. Ha- I had seen it on Thursday. <laughs> they brought it from, uh, <laughs> from Orlando to Tampa. They just did uh, triple H actually brought it with them. Um, yeah, here, put this here. <laughs> but they had another, like one of those sacks on the other side of the cage that they didn't use. So I was like, okay, so it wasn't just this weird thing that we've never seen before. At least they had one on the other side of the cage. So it's like. Shh.
0: So those sacks do serve purpose. Right. They're, they're real. Yeah. Cause like, you know, those so the cages, obviously, because they're lowered down, uh, motors and chains and everything. So those chains typically are what house the the, the sacks are, are are what houses those chains when the cage is down and when it goes up. Right. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. And so yeah. So I like that they didn't do that. they didn't make it, you know, some weird thing where it's like, why would this be there? Um but yeah, yeah, I thought Shane's bump was good. We were waiting for it. It paid off. And, you know, as much as I would have loved to have seen Shane carried out on a stretcher calling Braun stupid, because there's just something about so good. And maybe it's just because I'm just a snarky little guy. But there's just <laughs> there's just something about picking on a big guy and then he beats you up and you're just still talking shit. It's like, what are you going to do? You already beat me up, and I'm still calling you stupid. What are you going to do? Like, there's just something so, like, infuriating about that that I feel like, you know, it could have kept going. But uh, I was glad that Braun did get that moment, because I think he did. I think, ultimately, he did come across um, as getting a victory. All's well that ends well. He doesn't come across as stupid, you know, and... Also, it's interesting that he's I feel like a an extremely clear-cut baby face now, which is a, like sometimes it's tough to tell with Braun. But we'll the be a heel I, in 2 weeks. Uh, yeah, I know. He's yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he will be. Yeah, he will be. I mean, but today today he's fighting all the bullies, so
0: Hey, you know what? This makes up for having to win the tag titles with a 10-year-old at a WrestleMania 34. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd rather throw Shane McMahon off the roof of a of, of a cage than <laughs> grab Nicholas and win the titles. Yeah, that's probably right.
0: I, I tell you what, I thought I thought he was going to wind up throwing uh, Shane off the top and to the announce table. It, it, Braun did that to Kevin Owens, didn't he?
1: Yeah, somebody, yeah, I think he did do that to Kevin Owens at one point. I mean, he still could have done it again, but that I, I was wondering when they were up there if that's where they were going, if like Braun, like Shane was going to flip him off or something and Braun was going to like clothesline him and knock Shane off the cage onto the floor. Uh, I mean, Shane McMahon...
0: He has no fear, Sam. He has zero fear.
1: Not only does he have no fear, but it's not like uh, he wants to do this. Like there's there's something like he's got that thing in him where he's like, "Yo, writers, you think we can write a story that culminates
0: with me getting thrown off the top of the cage?" I mean, (laughs) I guess,
1: yeah, we yeah we can.
0: Yeah, they work backwards though. He comes (laughs) in, he's like, "Hey, I've got this great idea about a big bump off of a cage. How do we get there? Let's go backwards."
1: Yeah, that's right. Like when he when he fell off the two, uh, he was like, I want to jump off two SummerSlam Titantrons." And they're like, uh-huh, Steve Blackman. <laughs> You're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I thought that that match, I thought that match delivered exactly what it should have delivered, nothing more, nothing less. I thought it was successful.
0: I, 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 I begrudgingly agree. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you can hear, uh, uh, Mike, begrudgingly agree and non begrudgingly disagree uh, with Mark Madden every single week on the best wrestling podcast, period. You get best it, wrestling
0: show, period. The, yeah.
1: You can get it. You can get it uh, uh, anywhere. You get audio podcast and on YouTube and uh, Twitter and everything. So Mike, you know, I always like, uh, I always like chatting you up. I relish, I relish these
0: moments. Yeah, they they, they, they they live right here.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the more we do this, the more it's going to be like we're just going to go longer and longer and longer
0: every time. We've been going through for, for a while now, haven't we?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're starting to approach like I was thinking forty-five. We're about double. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, well, Re- WrestleMania, there's a lot to well, unpack. I'm glad we. Well, we had to on.
0: catch up. This this was our first WrestleMania, not getting to work together in a very long time. Since Orlando, yeah, 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 we've we've, so. we've we've been we've we've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows.
1: But you know what I felt? You know what? You know what made me feel okay about being at home for this year's WrestleMania? Had a had a pretty good night on Twitter. Had had, 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 some, had some
0: action on there, so I was like, okay, good. I did too. I, so I'm still relatively new to this Twitter game. I I had myself a blast. I went at Tony Khan. I, I saw Tony you going. To,
1: I mean, I I think I I think you probably saw my reply to your Tony yeah. Khan tweet. That was a good one. <laughs>
0: Hey man, look, you know, it's when, when you, when you make your business an eye business, uh-huh. that's typically the uh, HOV lane to failure. By the way, so, I did,
1: I did want to send a tweet out to, to Meltzer. Cause like the rumor in the wrestling observer was that Becky Lynch was going to come back and she was going to drive a truck into WrestleMania. And the minute I saw bad bunny driving a truck into WrestleMania, I'm like, Oh my God. So he found out there was a truck and he made the rest up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it, it's what are they going to, so tomorrow is Becky Lynch going to also come out in a truck? I mean, maybe, I don't know, but probably not. They probably won't do two trucks.
0: Uh, um, we 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 need to talk about that truck one day. That truck idea uh, was supposed to be a lot cooler than what it wound up being. Uh, obviously things had to change because of the pandemic, but we'll tell the story one day. Becky and I came up with that idea uh, the night I gave my notice to WWE in Brooklyn. Wow. Well, then we got something to talk about for next time, don't we? left hanger. We'll leave him in suspense, Sammy.
1: We'll do it. Thank you, Michael Mansuri. Hey,
0: the pleasure was all yours, my friend.
1: <laughs> well, here to break down night two of WrestleMania is somebody that I've known f- I've forever. We, we both uh, started trying to figure out navigating the broadcast world while being crazy, wrestling-obsessed human beings many, many years ago. Before, I feel like now it's it's a little bit more in trend, but when when you and I were first in that world, it was kind of like us and Peter Rosenberg, and that was it. Uh, but finally, you know, long awaited. I can't believe we haven't done this before, uh, and we should be doing it more often. But Arda Ocal, maybe you know him, a uh, former... WWE announced team member, uh, one of the guys that I think really kicked off what the digital space in WWE looks like, one of the first, like, hosts that really took ownership of that, and now you're at ESPN, not only covering sports and everything, but doing a bunch of wrestling coverage over WrestleMania. Welcome, Arda. It's good to see you.
2: It's really good to see your face, man. It's been a long time, and do you remember, I remember you and I, both auditioned for a gig at wwe like back in 2013 yeah, yeah i remember that because like so you, long ago you got and it we like kind of got on each other's radars we knew that we were going for the same gig but then now look at how it like it's so funny like back then it was like it would be so few and far between for an announcer to get and for any openings to come up and now it's just like Look how many people are involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy.
1: It's crazy how it's changed because, and I talked to people about this because I think a lot of people take it for granted, but when you and I were trying to get in the door in the very beginning, there was no partnership stuff. There was no like, yeah, you go and do your own thing and do a little WWE stuff over here. It was like you were either in or you were out. So it's really, it's it's wild the way things have transformed. And the same for ESPN, right? Like you couldn't, the ESPN wasn't doing wrestling coverage. So it's not like you could go to ESPN and go like, oh, and I could do all these great wrestling interviews. They'd be like, What are you what are you talking about? It's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna happen here. Like exactly. I don't I don't think so. Um, but look, I wanna get right into it because I was talking about night one. I love doing these shows right after pay per views because of the energy that you have right after the pay per view. Mm-hmm. Positive or negative. Sometimes it's like a real bummer after a pay per view and you come on and do a podcast. But, you know, a strong main event with a strong finish. And I said the same thing about night one can really shape your opinion of a show. And for me, I don't know where you saw the triple threat going tonight. Um, I kind of was like, well, if I had to guess, I guess I think Edge might win. But Mm -hmm. I'd said this to some of the folks on a Zoom call I was on. I said, how cool would it be if Roman won? If after all this and the odds and everything, like it's just, no, I don't think you understand. Roman is the guy, he's unstoppable. And man, the storytelling that was going on in this match and the storytelling that the crowd added to this match more than I think any other match over the course of the two days, I think made this one my favorite of both nights. Maybe it's recency bias, but I, I really, I really loved this triple threat.
2: I agree. I love the finish. I love that he pinned both guys. I thought it was a super strong way to Roman for Roman to retain the title. I'm in the camp that I want Roman to hold the title until rock. I want him to uh, keep the title. I want him to keep the title for as long as necessary until he has that match tribal chief versus tribal chief, or however, it's going to go down. I want, I, I want him to hold the title until that moment. And I think that, he, you can build up plenty of challengers mm-hmm. and have him in peril. He, he does a great job. That's one thing I like about Roman a lot is that as strong as he looks, his entrances look great in matches. You could tell he's got that confidence about him. He plays the heel really well. Right. But like, he also sells really well. Like he, he, he plays the peril to a T and it like works so well. And it actually makes his opponents look good too.
1: Yeah. I think like his facial expressions, when he's in those submission holes, we saw it tonight, we saw it last month. Like, that I think is so great. Probably the best spot of the night was the double submission on Roman <laughs> at the same time with the chair thing and Roman's eyes are bulging out. I also think that the the utilizing Jey Uso the way he's utilized makes it so that, that that is Roman's vulnerability ultimately, right? That every victory, even though he just tramples everybody, there's always an asterisk. Like it's always like Jey Uso getting involved, or there's always something that makes it so well, if that hadn't happened, you wouldn't have won. So it's one of those things where even when he's beating people, you can still do a rematch in a cage, in a lumberjack match, and you could find all these obstacles to try to take that out. But you're saying, so like, I would think, unless they do something big for SummerSlam, because I don't think that they would are going to have an audience again, I guess, until SummerSlam, if not after, but who knows? You know, I'm just guessing. But theoretically, I wouldn't think that The Rock would come back until at least mm-hmm. WrestleMania Dallas. So you're looking yeah. at a potential, I mean, which would be pretty historic, especially for this era, a universal title reign that ran from August of
2: 2020 until March of 2022. I would love it. Just like, just like Punk's reign. And ironically, also ended by The Rock, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, So, like, I'm in favor of that. Here's here's another reason why. Because there's another championship that can be passed. Yes. That's the other thing, is that... I don't believe, now, I think Bobby Lashley is is a great choice as a champion. I hope he has a decent title reign. I don't think he's going to hold it for a year. Mm -hmm. So I I do believe that that the WWE Championship can be the one that sees multiple champions in that span of time while Roman holds the Universal title. And guess what? The, The longer he holds it, the more prestigious it becomes.
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing about the Universal title is that because it's the younger title and because there have been some long reigns with it, there are less people that have held it. So it becomes this thing like who is going to join that elite pack of superstars that have actually been universal champion. Where do you, do you think Brock Lesnar fits into this at all? Or in your brain, is he kind of categorized if Brock were to return, does he kind of fit more with Lashley? I think like for me, because, especially with the Heyman connection, mm-hmm. I see like you paint Roman to be this strong where it's like Edge has this whole story. And not only does he kind of beat Edge, he really beats Edge, and he really beats Daniel Bryan, and he does it at the same time, and he was trash-talking him after the match, which was just beautiful. But to me, I feel like when I see that kind of domination over, you know, two of the, literally two of the top superstars of all time, and you're going, nobody can beat this guy, I feel like Brock's name is one of the first ones that pops into my head.
2: That would be terrific also, right? The Paul Heyman connection. Who does Paul pick? He looks both sides. It's like the smarmy advocate slash counsel now has to make a choice, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a cool storyline too. And Paul would play it to a T. We both know that. And if there was ever a situation for a title to change hands, that would probably be a good one. But then again, I wouldn't mind Roman edging it out against Brock too. I wouldn't mind him retaining against Brock and Brock... If he comes back, great, and then have him have other marquee matches that no matter what he does in WWE, it's going to be big anyway. He doesn't need the title. That's the thing. He doesn't need the title. In fact, a, a Roman victory over Brock would suit the company overall, in my opinion, way more than Brock beating Roman, and for what reason?
1: Yeah, I mean, can you imagine, like, Paul Heyman kind of playing both sides of the fence, and he shows a little favoritism to Brock and then Roman beats Brock and he's like panicked because he's like, oh no, like I I wasn't counting on this. I thought I was showing favoritism to Brock, because I thought, now you know, and and you just beat him. And you're right. And we still you you still could do Brock versus Bobby Lashley. You still like Brock, Brock, not only does Brock have so much credibility just because he's Brock, but the amount of credibility that he gained from beating the streak, I still think that people don't fully grasp how much that did for Brock, where Roman beating Brock gains Roman even more momentum. But Brock can afford it. It really wouldn't do anything to damage Brock ultimately.
2: It's so funny. Like people, for all the complaints that many people have about, oh, Brock's a part-timer and he always wins and he's always indestructible. But the wins and losses mean something with Brock that's the thing like there's very few people where the wins and losses truly mean something and what I mean by that is it elevates the winner right you beat Brock Lesnar you are instantly leveled up as a superstar you suddenly become in that stratosphere you know yeah you jump you jump in status
1: yeah as frustrating as it was to see Kofi go down in 10 seconds to Brock Lesnar it also made it so that Like, Drew McIntyre, what brought Drew McIntyre to WrestleMania last year was not winning the Royal Rumble. It was eliminating Brock. That was the moment that put Drew into that other stratosphere. And that wasn't even pinning him. That was just eliminating him from the Rumble and the sell that Brock did on the kick. Brock laying out on the floor for as long as he did. That is the power of Brock Lesnar and what he brings to the table. Were you at all surprised? Because I know I actually was. I felt like... I I was really curious going into both nights of WrestleMania as to how fans would react. I thought that tonight the honeymoon was a little over-ish. Like, I mean, people were still just excited to be there, but I felt like fans were generally a little bit more forgiving last night than they were tonight. You know, more booze and scattered stuff like that because things were getting more comfortable. But what I was really curious about is to whether they would react to characters the way they'd been portrayed on television for the last year because we haven't heard it and WWE hasn't heard it like there's been no way to do it and for the most part I think they did I thought it was Roman you know Roman I've always felt like he gets yabooed where like and John Cena did it too where the minute you hear his music you start cheering out of instinct because you're so happy to see this big star but then you remember you're supposed to be booing him. (laughs) And I was really interesting because for the first WrestleMania, I felt like the boos were a cooperative effort from the audience, which I loved. What I was surprised by was that Edge got more cheers in that match than anyone by a mile. And it made me think that maybe they would have been
2: just fine doing Edge and Roman in a singles match. I I wondered why they made it a triple threat match. Now, Edge did explain not to cheap plug here Sam but I had a <laughs> chance to talk to him beforehand and and he he mentioned how it was such a cool like behind the curtain storyline of all three of them having this like you know big health challenges uh, Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson, and Adam Copeland having like career-ending injuries coming back from that, and then uh, Joe Roman Reigns beating leukemia twice in his life, including recently. So like that that sort of thing for the three of them to share a ring in the main event of WrestleMania is a really cool thing. But yeah, from a storyline perspective, what what I what I wonder though is, did they think of this finish at that moment? Because if they did, then I think that the right choice was made. Because I think that the if if what Vince McMahon says is true, they will only remember the finish, mm-hmm. right? When people reference the whole AEW thing. Mm-hmm. I do believe that this finish was the strongest possible finish for Roman Reigns to look the strongest. No singles match could have accomplished what, even if you beat someone in a minute or whatever. This was, to me, the strongest visual for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania.
1: Yeah. Having both of those guys and literally two guys that have had some of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. You're talking about Daniel Bryan, who literally changed the industry with his WrestleMania win seven years ago. And now he's under a pile of people being pinned (laughs) (laughs) by by Roman Reigns. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was great. I'm really interested to see. I think Bryan will be fine because Bryan is he's like, I mean, you know, he's not Brock. But in this other weird way, like, Brian can lose to everybody and still be Daniel Bryan, right? He's just, he's earned that respect and that level of credibility. So I I think that Bryan will be able to do whatever they want to do with Daniel Bryan after this. I'm very interested to see in what happens with Edge going forward. And does he present himself with a little bit more humility you know, in his next story and say, like, a loss is a loss? Does he continue on this sort of heelish route of coming up with excuses? I don't know.
2: I thought that Drew was going to win the title night one and the next opponent was going to be Edge. I thought that they were going to do a switch. I thought that would have been perfect Mm -hmm. because that would have been a great series of matches, but it also gives Drew somebody substantial to defend, to, to, to challenge for the championship. Now... Obviously that didn't happen, but I, I wonder, do you think, do you think Edge? like, I don't know, I get it would, it would take a pretty big moment or something substantial for edge to turn heel, like to, to actually be legitimately heel. Like you should hate me. Not like, you know, like shed the legend status. Mm-hmm. Cause like, he's been so revered for so many years. And like, maybe this is the end of that chat, that comeback story chapter at this WrestleMania. And now I'm pissed. I, I didn't come back here to just, you know, have my farewell tour. I came here to win. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's what it is, but there needs to be something that triggers that, and I'm not sure what that is yet.
1: I mean, it could be one of these things. So I thought, like, Brian and Edge both had moments in this match where they kind of stopped, they stopped being polite, right? Like, they started getting this brutality where Brian specifically, and he said it, he vocalized it in the ring. Oh, your neck is bad, huh? You got a bad neck, and he started stomping the neck. And then Edge went for Daniel Bryan's head with the chairs and everything. And so maybe, maybe that's what's next. Maybe it's maybe Edge blames Daniel Bryan for ruining this. Maybe maybe he doesn't even look at it, because it's like you, you can't. I'm not interested to tell you the truth. I guess I would be, right? It's Edge, it's Bryan. Like I, I could get interested, but right now. I'm not leaving WrestleMania going, well, I'd love to see a singles match, Daniel Bryan and Edge, because Roman beat both of them. Yeah. So I don't want, I don't need a singles match with either of those two and Roman Reigns, but I am interested maybe in Edge, Edge or Bryan. It could work with either one of them kind of turning more heelish and blaming the other one for both of their losses. And then that goes towards the next pay-per-view. And, we do have, I think, five weeks until Backlash. So that's a pretty.
2: That's a pretty oh, Re- WrestleMania Backlash, son. right?
1: No, because I got we confused. added WrestleMania to the name. <laughs> that's right, because there's there was WrestleMania SmackDown, and then there was WrestleMania Saturday and WrestleMania Sunday, and then in five weeks it'll be WrestleMania Backlash. That's
2: right. I got gotcha. you. Right.
1: I got gotcha. you. And then in a few months from now it'll be WrestleMania SummerSlam, right. and then of the course. Thanksgiving yes. tradition WrestleMania series, and right. WrestleMania <laughs> Rumble, and yeah. on and on and on we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect.
2: <laughs> Uh, that's what
1: the W stands for. It's World WrestleMania Entertainment. Correct. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's what I thought. Um, but yeah, I could see over the course of five weeks maybe building to an edge Daniel Bryan match. I I, I could so be very interested
2: in that. I the other thing I like about that is that, like, okay, let's be honest. WrestleMania Backlash, for, for all that we've been laughing about it, is gonna be a lot of rematches, right? Like, we're gonna have a ton of rematches from WrestleMania on this car. Very much very very likely. Spoiler alert, probably a few, right? I would think but so. this gives them an out. This yeah. gives them an out, though. So now you can have Edge versus Daniel Bryan. Roman Reigns moves on. like, And Roman Reigns has the out storyline-wise. He can say, I pinned you both literally at the same time in the ring. I don't need to face either of you again. I'm going to move on and then leave Edge and Daniel Bryan to have an amazing match, which they're going to have, and have a dispute. You cost me this. No, you cost me this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, actually, that would that would work really well. And everyone would want to see that match anyway.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Going into WrestleMania, I would have said, have Edge go heel and blame Brian. But As I watched WrestleMania and I listened to how the fans reacted, like, I could hear people chanting no when people in the mm. arena were chanting yes. Like, you could kind of feel, and you know, I'm sure you saw the memes online heading into WrestleMania with... Brian being added to all the classic like WrestleMania moments. Like, I think I just saw one where it was, it was an ad for Chris Jericho on the stone cold, uh, broken skull sessions. And then Daniel Bryan just gets added to the middle of right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see them kind of learning from WrestleMania and going like, Oh, maybe Edge. No matter what we try, like Edge is gonna get cheered. People are gonna love Edge, so maybe Brian is the one that snaps. I I, I don't know, but it's I, the
2: reverse Roman Reigns. No matter how hard we try, <laughs> the fans will still cheer yeah, him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we got to just we got to just go for it. Um, so yeah, I thought that the I thought that the main event was good. Um, I thought there were a lot of good matches. I thought this one, a lot of the finishes surprised me more than last night. Um, I'll tell you what I I I was not uh, the uh, another thing that the fans spoke for that I think maybe WWE didn't see coming is did you hear the boos when the Bellas threw Bailey down that yes. ramp? Yeah, yeah. I think the WWE thought that was going to be a feel good moment, and the fans were like, "No, I don't. We've we've been loving Bailey for the last year. She's an MVP of everything we've been seeing, and we don't we don't we don't like that."
2: So there are instant, you and I both know this. There are instant, and look, I'm taking nothing away from the Bella Twins. Of course. Their contributions speak for themselves. Worthwhile Hall of Famers. Worthy Hall of Famers. Yes. What I will say is my guess on the WWE Universe's reaction in that moment is there are some cases where legends are used and it is welcomed. There are other cases where legends are used and it is not welcomed. And I believe the WWE Universe said, this one doesn't sit well with us. We don't like this this just looks like a gratuitous use of a legend in order to get one up on someone we've been cheering for a very long time and think the character is great. and no, no, thank you. That's yeah. what it felt like to me.
1: Yeah, I felt that too. And I think that there's yeah, I think that there the audience is almost going, we'll boo Bailey if she's a bad guy, but only if there's a good reason to like we won't we're not here to see Bailey get humiliated. We're not here to see mm-hmm. Bailey, you know, not be put on a pedestal we'll boo her on a pedestal so we can cheer for somebody else but not not for this you know um let's go back to the beginning of the show okay we had uh the first man i was very surprised
2: what was up with that finish
1: the orton yeah infinite yeah yeah and that was another moment where it was like (laughs) i i didn't get it i have like what yeah yeah i mean you know I guess this. I guess we'll have to wait for WrestleMania backlash to get to the uh, yes, we <laughs> the bottom of what happened. So I was digging it at first. I liked it. I liked the. I mean, I like all the fiend stuff. I'm a big horror movie guy. So like, you know, I like. I like the idea. As soon as he got burned alive, people were like, "Well, what are they going to do?" And I'm like, "Have you never seen any Friday the Thirteenth movies?" Yeah, like, exactly. He comes back as a zombie, of course, and he did. And I was like, "This is great." And then. Alexa and the giant jack-in-the-box and I'm like, no, I like this. I'm, I'm I'm here for this. This is cool. I'm good with it. And then The Fiend comes out and he's not burned up anymore. And even that, I'm like, cool! That makes more sense. You know, it'd be tough to have him wrestle as the burned
2: up guy. You know, yeah. I, f- I was fine with all of it, right? Speaking I- of the jack in the box, I thought that she, like, there was moments where she was turning it, where it came to about here, uh-huh. and it was like, oh, no, you're stopping. It's like, is it, like, too, like, <laughs> is it going to be stuck or something, and the music's going, and I'm like, I wonder if production is freaking out in that moment, like, if if it got, if the uh, handle got stuck or something, and the music's still going, and Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, man, that would be. <laughs> I could just imagine what production's thinking right now. Yeah, trying to keep it going with the music at the same time, yeah. and if it get, and you just put pop them up.
1: I don't know, pop them up, but you just gotta, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, I mean, they don't have a lot. Look, we're using a giant Jack in the Box, and we're on live TV. You know, we don't. Who's got experience with giant human-sized Jack in the boxes? It's tough. Exactly. It's tough to pull off.
2: looks um, good though. It looked good. It looked I good. The entrance was cool. I, like Alexa Bliss is great.
1: Awesome. Alexa Bliss has been great. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't love the red light. I like, I like what mm. it looks like with the lights all the way on. I thought Randy had cool white gear. I like the, you know, the fiends mask looks cool. I prefer it without the red light, but I, I mean, I get it. I, it's not like a huge issue for me, but that's just my personal preference. Um,
2: we can agree that this match was way better than their other WrestleMania match though. Right. With the, what was it like the worms on the mat and whatever yeah
1: it was. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that match. With the worms on the canvas going, and I, I, I was in the stadium for it, and I was like, uh, at like when I happened to be watching that match, I was like, somewhere, you know, up. And so I was looking down on it, and it looked cool, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I thought to myself, is that going to translate on television? And then I got the answer very quickly was no. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: no, it's not going
1: to. And then, like, why would he be scared? It's clearly... I mean it's what clearly a projection. See? Like it's not. Oh no. Wow. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah, so no. Actually,
2: here's a funny story about that. Yeah. So uh night one, the the final spot, the Bianca Bel Air, Sasha Banks, right? Yeah. So I was actually what? so I I worked that night. I actually did not have the sound on. So when I saw that spot, I didn't hear the crack of the whip, like the impact of the whoosh, right. Yeah. So when I saw it, I was like, wait a second. Is that, is that supposed to hurt? Like I, right? It like was, you thought I was it, was like, a- at it like without any sound, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't understand this at all. Yeah. Why are you selling so the I, hair? Like, right, yeah, what? like what? Really? That's the finish? And then, But then I saw it on social media and I heard the crack and yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I
1: get it now. Right. And then you see like the scar that's left behind and you're yes, like, oh. Yes.
2: Okay. I didn't see the scar. I didn't hear the sound. I was like, okay, now I get it. That is
1: funny. And that's like one of those moments too that you know, you tweet because everybody's got to tweet right away. You're like, what, what was that finish? And you haven't heard it. You're like, everybody's like, Arta, what are you talking about? It was great. Yeah, exactly. Like, you... <laughs> good thing I did. And they'd be like, what are you? You're a moron. You're an idiot. Like, <laughs> sorry, guys. Didn't have the sound on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I yeah, no, I actually, I, I thought the match up until the end was was good. I was really happy with it. I was happy for Bray. I was happy for Randy. I, th- I thought the whole thing was, was good. I liked, you know, uh, Alexa showing up and, and and black stuff coming from her thing and everything. I think Alexa's been awesome this whole time. I think she's just so good at this stuff. Agreed. Um, But it was a little... I think you can do stuff like this, especially when people expect it. Like you were expecting theatrical stuff in The Fiend versus Randy Orton. You weren't expecting an Iron Man match, right? So I, I you can get away with stuff like this, but I think what you can't get away with is people just leaving going like, what? You know, like there there has to be. Maybe if Alexa had looked at Randy, so you're saying is Alexa on Randy's side now? Is it like the fact that there was like you can't even start to speculate about the reason that Alexa would have distracted the fiend and why did that RKO hurt so much all of a sudden? And then right they disappeared, but the jack in the box was still there. So who's getting that jack
2: in the box? <laughs> you know, like it's just like, there. Yeah, there I were guess we can take it away now. <laughs> <laughs> there were like, two... But yeah, like I, I don't know. I mean, to me, if WrestleMania was not in front of a crowd, that would have been a cinematic match, probably. Yeah. I yeah. And honestly, maybe it would have been better suited as a cinematic match, but also you would never take away the moment of actually wrestling in front of a crowd for the first time in over a year for any competitor, right? So yeah, I, right. Call, but you're right. Like it's, and even okay, for the so fans, I'm like,
1: like imagine yeah. going like, oh, it's the first time in a year, and they're like, okay, but one of the matches you'll just watch on a screen, and you're like, I've been watching matches on screens for a year. That's yeah, not what exactly. I'm here to do. You
0: don't need another one. You do it to us, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm, I'm very much in favor of it not being a cinematic match, but yeah, like I just need a beginning of the question being answered, just a jump-off point, just something. Sure that I can go with, not just like leaving going what?
2: huh? Can I, can I ask you something? Yeah. Now that crowds are back, how many cinematic matches do you want to see? You know, I mean, that's a great question because
1: pre COVID most of the cinematic stuff that has been done is not, I don't, I like, I don't, I don't sit back and look. I don't, the only great cinematic matches, I mean, I guess the, boiler room brawl you could kind of put in that category right cuz at least it was pre-taped and 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 maybe the backlot brawl from WrestleMania 12 but mm-hmm. they're they're kind of few and far between and also all of them end in the ring right all of them the cinematic part is only half the match and eventually they get to the ring and it pays off there so you know i mean unless it is a device that is really going to push things forward and it's much better. I think you have to figure out how to do it in a live atmosphere. I mean, Randy and Bray had that cinematic haunted house match a couple of years ago and it was, it wasn't very good. You know, it wasn't good and it was not satisfying to the audience either. So, you know, I, I, I think the theatrical stuff and the cinematic stuff, you just, you have to be careful of because an audience will not allow you to have a dramatic pause that they are not feeling like you probably wanted that to be a very dramatic hushed, mysterious silence, but the audience was like, no, like that's not what I'm not, this
2: isn't mysterious. This is just confusing. Right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, confusing for... is bad. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it sprinkled in. I, I maybe like for, for special moments. But not, you know, not so much like, on WrestleMania like gimmick match. Not so like, much on I,
1: WrestleMania, though.
2: Yes, agreed. Yeah. Like like give me like maybe one a year, mm-hmm. you know, like something, something significant. And also, you're right, like something where fans will stomach sitting and watching it. So we we'll probably have to wait a year because we gotta let the whole honeymoon phase of being back at shows. I guess maybe between night one and night two, maybe we're it's gonna be sooner than we think. like but like, <laughs> but, like to get to that point where we're like, okay, we're back to normal. We feel like, you know, we've been to a bunch of shows now. If we get a cinematic match, it feels like a a, a different kind of flavor. Yeah. As opposed to, hey, we've been watching on TV for the last year. Give us more live matches. And maybe I there, really agree.
1: you know, I, I feel like as far as technology has come in the last year, in terms of people having to innovate because of circumstances, maybe there's some kind of in arena experience you can create that makes it so that it's a little more palatable to sit there. So you're not just looking at a screen. Maybe there's some kind of lighting experience or effects or something that you can do in the arena just to keep people's attention. So that when you come out of that cinematic match, you don't have a bunch of people that look like they just got out of a movie theater. Yeah. You know,
2: worms on the canvas. Yeah. Worms on the canvas is clearly, <laughs> is clearly the way to go theme.
1: Do we got an idea for you? Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> My Lord.
1: Um, so we had three title changes, and two—one was very surprising. One was—yeah, uh, I wouldn't say surprising, but I guess unexpected, and one I expected. Um, We'll start with the expected, I guess. I think for me, Rhea Ripley, not only, I, I expected her to win, um, but I think it's very interesting that they're not treating this like— we're coronating a new... There's a coronation for a new babyface champion. Mm-hmm. I think that they're not fully setting Rhea up to be a heel necessarily, but it seems like it could very easily go in that direction. Like, it feels like they're setting her up to be kind of a badass, almost annoyingly dominant women's champion on Raw. Um, And I, I think... This is the I, I mean, I think that this is the mountain that Becky Lynch needs to conquer. I, I, I would I hope Becky's coming back very soon. I would like her to be back very soon. And I do think that Rhea Ripley is a really good choice for being a mountain that Becky has to climb to take her seat back.
2: Yeah. She should she would be a great first major program yeah. upon her return. I agree. I do believe, so Rhea Ripley's had two straight WrestleManias of excellent matches. I agree, yeah. And she is, to me, if she was in the main event next year, like if we have a similar situation where there's like the, the most featured match in the women's division, if she is a part of it, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I would agree. Whether she's in the triple threat position, whether she gets a title match or a title shot, or if it's going to be, let's say, Becky and Bianca or something like that, I understand that, too. So, like, that could totally be the case. But if Rhea is interjected somehow or if she has, you know, 1A, 1B kind of situation, I would not at all be surprised. And if, the, if it was a similar two-night, I, I, I doubt it will be. But if it was a similar two-night next year and Rhea headline night one, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't. She's, she's, she's gotten to that point to me.
1: I agree. I mean... There was nothing unnatural to me about her winning the championship from Asuka tonight, which is insane because she's literally been on the main roster for two weeks, right? (laughs) Like, people forget that because we've been waiting for so long and we've been so aware of her and we've watched her in NXT and we started last year at WrestleMania and she's been in the Royal Rumble and, and, and the vignettes have played and everything. But realistically, two or three weeks ago, she showed up on Raw and challenged Asuka without having a match. And here we are at WrestleMania, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, I kind of, I kind of expected Rhea Ripley to win the championship." And you're like, "If if you're doing that two weeks into being on the main roster, it's gonna be a wild ride." No cap.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, percent. And by the way, that DDT to the floor could have been way worse. Oh, that scared that, me. I, when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. And then I saw the replay. I was like, "Wow, well done." Yeah, yeah. that that could have been really bad. Yeah, that scared me. Um. <laughs> You
1: had uh, Seamus beating uh riddle which that's my one that I guess I was unexpected I, I would have picked riddle but that might just be my preference um I really like Matt riddle. I know that some people think that the, some people think it's annoying the I, I I don't mind like the like silly stoner stuff that he does backstage it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all I think that it adds a little bit of personality it adds a little bit of entertainment and you know even if you don't like it, it still allows him to have more time in the ring. And I mean, if you don't like Matt Riddle in the ring, I, like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you're watching for at that point.
2: Sure, um, but I want to know how many teeth he has left dude, in his mouth after that broke
1: kick. That's what I was going to say. Like, as much as I wanted Matt Riddle to win, I feel like if I had my own promotion, I'd make him champion of the world. There is no way I can be mad at how perfectly timed that brogue kick was. And then just the visual of Riddle getting up and just blood all over his mouth. Cause Sheamus just legit kicked his face off, which I mean, it was, it was, it was exactly what
2: the match should have been. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and don't forget before that too, like Sheamus was going to try to do his, what is it? What is this move called? Where he has him like this. And oh yeah. Yeah. Like, when he went, yeah, yeah. So and he that, went to the top rope and he was trying to, but good for him. He kept it safe. He could, he didn't get his footing. So he just jumped off and did it uh, on the mat. But like, that they lost the wrestlemania mo, uh highlight yep. so to speak there but then they totally got it back with that with the finish which was in ama- which was amazing
1: yeah it really did show you Sheamus's ability and his experience and his and his brain that he's using when he's in the ring the fact that he didn't like stumble around and clearly make it look fake and try to get back on the rope he just did the move and then i to me it looked like he just decided like okay i'm just going to climb up to the top rope and like stomp him or knee him or whatever he did off the top rope right after that. But I feel like that was a make good just so you have something to get the match back on pace. I thought yeah. that was really, really well done by Sheamus. And yeah, like you said, having that moment in the finish by the finish, you weren't sitting there going like, Hey, but remember that other movie didn't get it? No, no,
2: no, no, Yeah. Hey, I will say this about this match, Sam. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw this again at, WrestleMania Backlash. Well, we saw it at WrestleMania.
1: We could see it again at
2: WrestleMania
1: Backlash. backlash. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I could indeed. Could I, indeed. I, think, I think that that's right. Another match that we could see that this one was surprising to me. Um, I would imagine that Biggie at WrestleMania Backlash uh, will try to get his Intercontinental Championship back. There is something very old school wrestling to me that I love, love about the fact that we're all pretending we don't know. Who Kato from Raw Underground is. Like, like I literally it was a few months ago. I just yes. I definitely know who he is. I mean, I he does have a new jacket. Um, but yeah, that this shocked me. I my in my head, I was like, okay, I, I would like to see Apollo have some time as champion. I would like to see Apollo build up. I'm a huge Apollo Crews fan. And I actually like the Nigerian gimmick that he's doing. I feel mm-hmm. like you know i think that there's a, a level of authenticity to it that i think is necessary to pull something like this off that he is pulling off and i think i think it's added to him it's added interest like you know i care when he comes out i care when he has a microphone i care when he has a match like i care about the stories that he's telling so i think that that's a real positive thing but i kind of thought that at fast lane apollo cruz was going to win the intercontinental championship and that WrestleMania would be about Big E getting the title back but they kind of flipped it and they reversed it and they've added this uh mysterious giant general to uh to to Apollo Cruz's growing stable
2: so speaking of the giant general someone definitely was watching coming to America 2 <laughs> yeah. while booking this number 1 <laughs> There's sure. one thing that stuck out for me in this match, and yeah. this just goes to show you how this is just a little detail, but I love these kind of things mm-hmm. just to show you how seasoned Apollo Cruz is as a wrestler. So he wins, uh, what is um, I think he I, I saw online that he might be called General Aziz, like I think that might be his name moving forward. Oh, really? I yeah, think I think like a trademark or something, but anyway, okay. So big guy comes in, slam, pulls uh, Apollo one, two, three, new champ, right? So you notice uh big dude goes right to Apollo and tries to pull him up right yeah yeah you saw that yep and then Apollo's like no 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 hold on hold on I'm I'm in pain I'm in pain I got to sell this for a second leave me here I'll get up but I need a second I was like brilliant yeah you just you just won the match you're in like a ton of pain Biggie beat the crap out of you you know like you gotta you gotta wait a second I thought that was like brilliant dude no wonder you're in the position you're in and you have many, many reps under you just goes to show you there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great too, where it was like, no, that you picking me up. That's another moment. That's the next moment. We'll have that moment in a second, but first I need this moment where I can, you know, wither in pain a little bit and get up. And and yeah, I noticed that too. Beautiful. And I, yeah, I thought it was great. And that's why you're like, yeah, you can, you can trust that guy to pull off what he was able to pull off. Um, but yeah, I I, I was just, I, I guess I was surprised that they didn't use this as a big, and I think that they, what they did, WWE does one thing or the other. They're like, either this is going to be, we're going to use this as a moment to have a celebration for Big E that everybody wants to have, or we're going to use the fact that everybody wants to have this celebration to build heat on this person who ruined the celebration that you want to have. I think that's what we
2: saw. Interestingly, if we look at like the booking for night 2, right? Yeah. Roman Way- Roman Reigns wins heel. Rhea mm-hmm. Ripley wins I would say heel. I would. Heel. Yeah. Uh, Apollo Crews wins heel. Yeah. Sheamus wins. But but okay, even beyond those matches though, like y- y- what what massive baby pay, baby face end-of-match pop happened on night two. Bianca Belair happened night one. Right. I mean, literally, I think the only real big...
1: Yeah, even Nia and Shayna retaining. I mean, people literally were like... I think a lot of people thought, especially because that match had a lot of time. You know, the women's tag match mm-hmm. had a lot of time. And I think that people thought that this is going to be, you know, a moment to find Like, Tamina and Natalia have just been... I mean, talk about something that's put in the reps. have just been putting in work year after year after year after year in WWE. And I think a lot of people thought, finally, they're going to get a moment at WrestleMania to just hold up some gold, and that's going to be awesome. And then they didn't get it. Nia and Shayna spoiled it. Um, so, yeah, I think really the only sort of overtly babyface match moment was Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens, they that that was the feel-good moment, I think, when when Kevin Owens beat Sami Zayn. And I'll tell you, I was a little worried going in. I was I was worried that they were gonna turn Logan Paul into a hero. You know, because celebrities <laughs> tend to play heroes, but I'm like, Logan Paul is a heel. Like he is in real life, like he is he's just the Logan Paul character that we all know. Heel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like when when I realized. When you when you kind of caught the energy that Kevin Owens was setting up to stun Logan Paul, I was like, "Oh God, yes, yes, this is the exact right move." So yeah, yeah, you're right. That was the good guy babyface moment. But other than that, nothing. Not even no. even Randy. I mean, Randy, I guess, was babyface. But even that, like, like we were talking about, that just left you confused. Mm. That didn't leave. That wasn't a
2: heroic win. To Logan Paul's credit, fantastic uh, taking of the stunner. In my opinion. I thought I so. I loved it.
1: I thought so, too. He took it realistically. He, he took
2: it like a champ. Yeah. He It was outstanding. Yeah. He exceeded my expectations. He could have just done the sit down and fall on his back. Mm-hmm. He went above and beyond. He, like, flipped forward, flopping like a fit. It was perfect. It was well done. I love I that he flipped credit. forward. I give him
1: Yeah, because he could have done the Scott Hall, you know, jump seven <laughs> feet in the air. He could have just fallen backwards. He could have done the Mr. McMahon kind of fall over sideways weird thing. But... He didn't. Yeah, he flipped. He flipped forward, and you forget. I mean, he is an athlete, right? I mean, he's an athletic guy. Sure. He's not a professional, but he's an athletic guy. So, I guess he I knew. Didn't credit. Yeah, I thought I it didn't was. Credit. I thought it Will was credit. a good spot, and I thought he sold
2: it, you know, well. Yeah, you know, I, 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 yeah, I thought it was good. Um, I wonder. I wonder because we had a lot of baby face pops in night one, right? We had yeah. Cesaro winning. That was a big baby face pop. Absolutely. Bianca Belair winning. Bad Bunny surprising everyone. Yeah, like he. Uh, w- where do you rank him? I, not to commandeer here, but I'm just curious. Where do you where do you rank him in celebrity matches at WrestleMania?
1: At WrestleMania specifically, I mean, yeah. you know, I think. Do you consider Ronda Rousey's debut a celebrity match, or because she went on to have a career, it doesn't become a celebrity match anymore?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That's I kind really of good
1: point. I kind of do rank that in the celebrity file because it was a debut. So I I think for the sake of this conversation, I would put. Ronda's first match, not her second match, but okay, I would yeah, I sure. would put because if bad bad who knows maybe bad money will wrestle a whole bunch more matches you know he looks like he could, um, but really high I mean you know I, I, I he was better than Lawrence Taylor, yep, better than Floyd Mayweather,
2: yeah,
1: not as good as Ronda Rousey of course but that's that's who is, um, better than all the NFL players the WrestleMania more memorable for sure C- certainly yeah better um, than William the Refrigerator Perry. <laughs> <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> I love how he's the only one. Like he is the <laughs> yeah. first one that everyone around. Of course. Match. Of course. It's always William Refrigerator.
1: <laughs> it was like, look, I don't think any of these NFL players are gonna win this battle royal, except maybe the refrigerator. William the Refrigerator <laughs> Perry might win this, might win this battle royal.
2: One guy. Um hi, so the top three probably maybe second maybe second maybe top
1: two yeah i thought yeah Mm. he was he was incredible yeah especially and i mean the stakes have been raised when you have a in in one 365 day period pat mcafee shocking the world on nxt and bad bunny shocking the world at wrestlemania it's like if any of these celebrities want to get involved in a match yeah that's where the standard is now
2: for, for a while, I thought Pat was going to have a run to WrestleMania. Like, even before the Rumble, I was like, imagine if Pat won the Rumble. Like, I yeah. don't know if it would have worked with his obligations and everything, but just imagine if he had that run. Oh, I mean... Pat McAfee versus so Roman to, Reigns? <laughs> imagine be that. Awesome. Or versus Drew or something <laughs> yeah, like that. be great. Pat McAfee versus Roman Reigns would have been the best. Oh, it would have been great. Because
1: Roman acts like, you know, this sort of, like, uh, <laughs> professional athlete, who's selfish, but Pat McAfee has been around mm. that energy all his life. He played in the NFL. He's like, who do you think yeah. you
2: are? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm I, bullish on Pat. If he, <laughs> like he falls in the Ronda category to me, if he ever, if he legitimately decides he's going to have a run WWE and like, you know, have a, like an actual like span of time where he's making wrestling his priority, he would have a really good run. I think, I, I think so too. Hey, what do you think of this? I have this idea as I'm
1: watching uh, tonight. I really think, That Rob Van Dam should be... Because there's like when Matt Riddle first started, they weren't really playing... They were more playing up MMA experience than the stoner stuff. And they've kind of moved completely away from the MMA experience. I mean, his in-ring style is obvious, but it's not really talked about as much. But the stoner stuff is what it's all about now. When he first debuted, I I think there were rumors that Kurt Angle was asked to come in and be his manager and Kurt didn't want to do it. And it was like, that was going to be the wrestling thing. I think... Rob Van Dam should be Matt Riddle's full-time manager. Like, the old stoner and the new stoner. I, I think if you had an act where it was Rob Van Dam and Matt Riddle together, where it was kind of like, that's the next evolution to me. Like, Matt Riddle with all his, like, cheesy jokes and his bad business ideas and all the annoying stuff, but have Rob Van Dam be the only guy who gets it. Like, yeah, I don't know what these guys' problems were. I thought that was a great idea, Matt. Like I thought, I thought that was terrific. I, w- I would love rvd to come back and be riddle's
2: full-time manager i mean look hall of fame back in the family you can totally see that happening right abs- abs- actually they would be a great pairing i think i think that their personalities would vibe yeah and they would create some fun segments so
1: <laughs> yeah i think it'd be really really good did you have uh aside from the main event did you have a, a favorite moment
2: uh, it was cool to see Kevin and Sami Zayn in the ring together at WrestleMania. Really cool. I thought that was cool. I wish it went longer. That's yeah. probably the only thing. But honestly, like then again, in saying that, there's probably only a small population of people like like the ardent wrestling fan or the ones that like saw them in the independence that were wishing that, right? So I don't know. I mean, I I was ha- I was happy. I, I thought that was really cool. I thought that the stunner was great. Um, otherwise I think I think we hit everything. To be honest, the the main event was the mo- th- that pinfall yeah. to me was the the most memorable thing of 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 night two. I think Bianca winning, in my opinion, wins the weekend. Yeah, I think that that's like the big the big the the ones. If you ask me, only one takeaway from this WrestleMania it's Bianca winning the championship. I, I- think that that was like super very well done. Match was fantastic. And then that I, did you see the the video? Someone posted a video. Um, As Bianca was celebrating and then Sasha was on the outside of the ring. Yeah. Did you see that video yes, where she's like uh, on the guardrail and she's like beaming? Yeah. And I was like, that's what it's all about. That's cool. Like, I, I love seeing that. And I you could tell how much it meant for both of them. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did see that. And I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. That is like, and, and yeah, it, it's amazing that you have two nights of WrestleMania, both with classic WrestleMania main events, like the Sasha Bianca match and this triple threat match are are just two classic WrestleMania main events. I left feeling like, and it's tough to do, I guess, you know, business-wise, because it's tough to actually sell out two stadiums worth. Like, you have to keep in mind that if you're going to do two nights of WrestleMania, like let's say in Dallas next year, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I, would, I would hope that we'll be able to have full stadiums a year from now, right? So Dallas, we know when you do WrestleMania there, you fit a hundred thousand people in there, which means if you want to do two nights of WrestleMania in Dallas, you have to figure out a WrestleMania that sells 200,000 tickets. And that's not with one match. You need a match, at least one match on each night. Like you need two main events that are big enough to sell 200,000 tickets as a as a fan watching at home who doesn't have to worry about any of the business, I really enjoyed WrestleMania being two nights this year. Um, I loved the both show. I mean, obviously, night one was a little longer because it took, you know, 40 minutes to get going because of the rain. But the fact that, you know, night two of WrestleMania, they probably would have both been about three, three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of three, three and a half hours on a Saturday, three, three and a half hours on a Sunday. You end up, fitting more stuff in there there. You know, you can, you can showcase a little bit more of the roster. I think when you do it that way without exhausting the audience, I, I love a two night WrestleMania, but do you think that it's, do you, do you like, first of all, as a fan, do you like a two night WrestleMania? And then as somebody who's, you know, kind of
2: understanding at least of the business, do you think it's realistic? As a fan. Yes. I don't want an eight hour WrestleMania, right? It's taxing. The main event suffers because of it, no matter how great the main event is. And honestly, I get it. Wrestling fans are passionate. Wrestling fans are loyal. Wrestling fans are voracious in their consumption of content, but an eight hour day is still an eight hour day. And it's not like Like, it's one thing to be at WrestleMania week and do that pilgrimage, right, where you go, oh, ROH show, AEW, whatever show, WrestleCon show, um, Midnight uh, Indie show, NXT show, or whatever, right? That's different. That's, like, different flavors that you're getting. An eight-hour WWE show is still—you get different flavors in the matches, but it's still an eight-hour WWE show. Yeah, you're sitting in the same seat the whole time. Exactly. So— As a fan, I would prefer it to be two nights. Now, business-wise, okay, let's talk about that. To me, the best-case scenario for WWE would be to have the 100,000 sold out both nights. I wonder if they do try that and say, we're not going to announce any matches. We're just going to go on the power of WrestleMania. We're going to put an on-sale date, night one on sale, night two on sale. Don't announce any matches. Let them sell out and then populate it. As a result. And then, if fans are like, oh, I'd rather go tonight too, then they can try and trade or whatever, do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. But kind of
1: at least experiment with yes. Okay. How many tickets can we sell on the brand? Let's put them on sale in October. Or whenever, you know what I mean? Let's put them on sale way early, way before anybody would know the matches, before the Royal Rumble, we'll put them on sale.
2: Exactly, because they're already doing a week's worth of WrestleMania events anyway. We saw, like, what is it, like 10 days of WrestleMania week or whatever that's happening? Like, that's going to continue to happen, and that has been happening. WrestleMania week is a thing, right? Right. So why not just make it two nights of WrestleMania, use the stadium both nights as an—you're already there— So you might as well monetize. And maybe you can
1: do a thing where it makes it cost effective that you can put packages together that don't kill people. Like, you know, it's going to be really expensive to buy two tickets to WrestleMania. But with that, you'll also go to the Hall of Fame or you'll also go to, you know, Raw or whatever. Like maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe there are packages you can put together where you can do that. But yeah, yeah, I'd really like to see it happen. And then maybe you can get a second boost by announcing big matches, right? Like maybe then you say, hey, by the way, we got Roman versus The Rock. And now it's like, okay, I got to buy tickets. And then on on this other night, it's like Bobby versus, if you do like Bobby versus Brock night one, uh, Roman versus The Rock night two, or whatever you do, you know, bring John Cena back, whatever you got to do, you know, you're going to have to spend some money, to, but you'll make it back by selling 200,000 tickets to a exactly. show,
2: right? Exactly. You know? And if the ticket average is, what, like 250 bucks or whatever it is, well, that's a lot of money. So you can definitely put together uh, two hell of a cards like that. And honestly, look, seven... Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Seven matches night one, seven matches night two, 14 matches in one day. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't like WrestleMania five, where there were, like, what, like, I don't know, 12 matches, but all of them were, like, three, four minutes? Yeah. Like, that's not happening. No,
1: no. Yeah, because they're all tournament matches that didn't mean anything anyway. Like, like these are all... We have four, 15 rivalries that finally need to be settled. It's like, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't commit to that kind of time. I can't 20
2: minutes each, including entrances and everything. Come on. Forget um, it.
1: Forget it. Forget it. Well, Arda, I really appreciate this, man. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, where can people keep up with what you're doing? I know that uh, I was just watching the interview that you did with Sean Michaels uh, on YouTube, which is, I mean, it's so cool. Like I, at this point, as much as you've done, as much as you've accomplished, It's still amazing to sit down and talk to Shawn Michaels about WrestleMania for, like, 40 minutes, right? Uh, Absolutely.
2: And honestly, this week, and you know this, you and I have been doing interviews with wrestlers for years upon years now. Mm -hmm. Like, this week, I got super lucky. Like, this was probably the most jam-packed week. WrestleMania week, I should say. was the most jam-packed week I ever had. And so, we got to interview Shawn Michaels, Edge, Triple H, Stephanie (sighs) McMahon, Hulk Hogan and the undertaker. All oh, in one week. oh, my God. It was like, it was, it was a pretty, pretty stacked week. So you can find all those on the ESPN YouTube channel. Uh, fo- follow me on Twitter at Arda. I-, I tweeted a whole bunch of things, but like, it was cool because it was a lot of like thoughtful introspective answers, right? Like, like when you and I interview people, like we like to ask things that aren't normally asked because we've heard a bunch of the stories before, you know, like I've, I've heard a hundred times that Andre may not have wanted to lose at WrestleMania <laughs> three, you know, like we've heard that story a thousand times, whether we believe it or not, you know what Yeah. I mean? When so Hogan, like,
1: when Hogan starts to go into that story, you start panicking like, no, 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 no no, we can't do this interview again. Like we like, can't, like, you're like, can't. No, please, no, 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 no.
2: <laughs> So, uh, let's cut that in post, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway. So like, but yeah, like, no, we, we, uh, it, it was a lot of great answers. Undertaker too. Like one thing that I loved was Cause uh, the UFC was this past weekend too. So I asked him, hey, uh, there's a guy named Kevin Holland fighting. Kevin Holland loves to talk in the ring, like just have full-on conversations with his opponents. Not not about anything, just like, hey, how's your day? Or what are you gonna eat for dinner? Or like, hey man, I really respect you. Like, he just likes to talk. So I want to ask Taker, like, is there a WWE equivalent of 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 someone who's just chatty in the ring? Not calling spots, but like just wants to pop you or like, Hey, where do you want to go for beers after this, you know, kind of thing. And he had a really good answer for it. Apparently someone calls him Marcus. Oh, that's awesome. I thought it was hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't even imagine that. Like it just made me laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Marcus.
1: (laughs) That's so cool. Well, check out that interview and check out everything Arda does. And uh, I appreciate you staying up with me, man. And talking WrestleMania. This has been fun.
2: Appreciate you, Sam. Let's do it again. Definitely.
0: Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been NotSam Wrestling. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground.